0: Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Years later, you ask, and Michael did, did it last night. Well, what if we did it again? What if we put everybody together for one more year? Uh, could we have done it? We we deserved the chance to do that. That's true. But uh, there is something, I think, uh, romantic about the fact that they never did come back, that they, they retired, they left as champions, and no one ever beat them.
2: With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. It is 11.01, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That was Wayne Larravee. On with character and smallman earlier today, Jamie Rivers saying it's fitting that the Blue Bulls, Blues, it's a <laughs> morning, that the Bulls went out on top. And I think that was one of the most significant takeaways that I had from the documentary yesterday. I think it's good that they didn't bring it back for 99. I'm going to be the one that says it. When you look back on Michael Jordan's career, what is the thing that we all say? We all say, well, six. He got six. And it wasn't just six, but for a lot of people, they say he got whenever he was playing, when he played a full season, there was no beating Michael Jordan. You couldn't do it. When he was in his prime, he was winning the title. It was his birthright by coming into that season, he was going to finish the season hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. If he came back for that seventh to try to go for seven, first of all, I don't believe Scottie Pippen was coming back. He wanted that deal. He wanted that. I think it was a five-year, like $55 million deal, whatever it was. He was going to get that money. He wanted it. He was historically underpaid. He wanted to get his money. It wasn't going to happen with him with the Bulls. So if you look at the team that they were potentially bringing back, it was a washed-up Dennis Rodman at that point, and it was a bunch of role guys. They probably weren't going to win the title in 99. Even if you think they could have, it certainly was not assured. Him not coming back in 99... And securing the legacy of every time that he played a full season in his prime, he won the title. I think by looking back on it now is actually a good thing for Michael Jordan and his legacy, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Look, it. I. I guess we could we could go back and forth on it. You have to imagine though, if Dennis Rodman knew that he was coming back for one more, and that they said we want to get seven, and Michael said I'm going to take a one year contract, like at the end of the the last episode. Steve Kerr, take a one-year deal. Phil Jackson, take a one-year deal. Those guys are great. Okay, they're some of the greatest in basketball history. You think they would have come back and just laid an egg? There's no way. They would have battled, and yeah... I think they would have been good. I I think I do think that they would have been competitive for seven, so uh, I, you know, the way I look at it is, what could have been, right, for seven, but also I do see it your way, too, that it is kind of, you know, poetic in one way that they all did go out after six, and that was it. Like, everything got dismantled from there. And would Scotty have been a tr- uh, problem to sign? Yeah, I think he would have been. I think that uh, if nothing else, what, what was kind of communicated to me through this documentary is that Scottie Pippen eventually became, like, about Scottie Pippen. Okay. And yes, he was a good team guy. He played injured, did all these things. But at the end of the day, you know, some of the things he said, some of the things he did, you know, the sitting down at the end of the game and not taking that last shot, you know, and then not even backtracking that after however many years later in the documentary saying, yeah, I would have done the same thing. Okay. That kind of tells me a story at that point where he was mentally. And then at the end of it to think that. Scotty would have taken a bargain deal again to do it one more time. I just don't buy that. So I think that's probably best that they did. Just kind of break up the band. Everybody do their own thing. And forever, the 98 Bulls will be remembered as this team that went out it's like rock stars.
2: Five years $67 million contract is what Scottie Pippen got the following season. Five years and 67 million. He, he wasn't turning no. that down. It <laughs> was gonna be out in there. Chicago. For him. It wasn't coming for him in Chicago. It would have been a one-year deal. He wanted the security long term. It's yeah. why he signed the original contract to begin with. That was way under what his market value should have been. Yeah. Scottie wasn't signing. It, it wasn't going to happen. And so we don't have to have any hindsight as 2020 on that. We know. We know that wasn't gonna come. I do think it is also important that the last image that we have of Michael Jordan in a Bulls uniform was what happened at the end of that 98 Finals. The way that he went out, the fact that he basically stole the game and stole the series from the Utah Jazz was significant. We remember Michael. Our lasting image of Michael, and we pretend the Wizards years don't happen. They they don't count. That's not they don't. That's not really Michael. We I even agree with that. And you know that I'm the last one that would agree that's with true. this sort There's of any thing. Any chance to give it to Michael? That's going to
3: be you. that's right. And All so right. if
2: I'm not giving it to him, nobody's allowed to give it to there him. The go. Wizards years don't count. That's not <laughs> Michael Jordan's career. The lasting image that we have of Mike in a Bulls uniform is the last shot. That's it. It was him stealing the ball away from Malone, him hitting the game-winning shot, and stealing the series, and you've got six. And then after the game, I think the other thing that I will always remember from that documentary was a quote that will stick with me forever. Michael Jordan sitting on the trainer's table after game six, after winning his sixth title, and this is what he says to Scottie Pippen.
0: Six of them! Six of Man, y'all say whatever you want.
2: They can't win till we quit. They can't
0: win till we quit. And it was true.
2: When Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were together for the last six years, nobody could beat them. Didn't matter who you threw at them. It wasn't the Knicks. It wasn't the Pistons. It wasn't the Jazz. It wasn't the Sonics. It wasn't the Suns. Nobody could do it. Nobody could bring down, the. Uh, as we saw last night, the Pacers, which was a tremendous team yeah, back good. in the day nobody could find a way to beat that team, Jamie. And so, for me, I look at all of that kind of coming together at the last shot. The fact that they won the sixth straight. The fact that they didn't come back and potentially fail the next year. Scotty was never given the opportunity to be the only one that didn't return. I think it ultimately in the end looking back on it now for his legacy was a very good thing that they didn't return.
3: Yeah, okay, let's I want to jump back on this one because you you brought up Michael and the last play where he steals the ball from Malone yeah. and then all that. Okay, let's isolate that for a second. Okay? You can say what you want about every great basketball player, every great hockey player, football player. They all have this ability to, I I always call it, like, to see the future, right? They all have a crystal ball. Wayne Gretzky was much the same way, and Brad Hall and all these other guys were, they were just a step ahead that you could never figure out, why does he know to be there? Why does he know that so-and-so is going to be there? Michael Jordan, and you see in the documentary, says, you know, Dennis and Carl have been going at it quite a bit here. I knew that he wasn't going to be looking for me, because he's too busy battling Dennis. And all of a sudden, Michael makes a bold bold decision there because he if you watch that tape over he just lets his guy go like if carl malone had you know any idea at Feels all brown james would have passed. passed it over there <laughs> and mike we wouldn't be talking possibly wouldn't be talking about this the way we are but michael knew it he recognized it snuck in behind him stole the ball and the rest is history literally history but that's because he's the greatest of all time that's why those guys the greatest players No, they have this sense to them. They know what's going to happen. Like I've said, they have that crystal ball to tell the future. And that, to me, was the biggest takeaway from that is is just watching him dissect how his brain was working and how he just knew where to be, what to do. And then he won, of course, he won the last shot, all that stuff. The greatest players in any sport with the game on the line, they want to be the last ones to touch the puck, the ball, whatever.
2: I think that last part that you said, they're so important about that play, too. Imagine how many times Carl Malone got the ball in that exact spot in that series. He didn't go for it at any of those moments. It was the last moment. Yep. It was when they needed it the most and Michael knew, I've got to make something happen here. That's when he ultimately pulled that out. He had seen that a million times. Carl Malone isn't randomly just going into the low post and getting on the block. That's a move that Carl Malone's had for his entire career. And Michael, in the biggest of moments, in Game 6 of the NBA Finals, when he knew his team needed it, that's when he pulled it out.
3: Well, it's like he had this, this wild card in his deck of cards, right? And he just knew he had it. And waited and waited and waited and then knew at one point, I'm going to need that. And once again, going back to the crystal ball thing, this play is going to present itself one day. And he just knew to do it. Now, another part that I loved, after they won, the celebration is going on, and everybody, like the, the players are going crazy. The fans are going crazy. All this stuff is going on. His interaction with Phil Jackson. Okay, Phil Jackson, I don't even know if this guy has a heartbeat. Okay. Michael uh Michael Jackson, I almost called Michael Jackson. Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just, All right. So Michael Jordan is losing it. I knew this. I knew tell him I knew we were gonna do I told you we're gonna do it. And Phil Jackson's like, I know you did. I know you believed it. Like, he's, like, the Zen master that he's been known for for years, right? But he's just, like, encouraging, like, like yeah, I bet you did know we were going to win. I bet you did know this was going to be great. Like, just so calm. And he just walks away after, like, yep, he's the greatest basketball player ever. And I just go him to six championships.
2: Six, five, seven, eight, zero is their comfort service text line to get in the, involved in the show at any point today. So, this comes from the 636. BK, do you still think there's any comparison between Michael Jordan and LeBron James? I'll answer that question for you. My answer is yes. I do still think that you can make the comparison. I will also add to that statement, though. I have a greater appreciation for Michael Jordan after watching this documentary. I don't know how you couldn't. When you see other all-time great players talk about Michael the way that they did in this series, I don't know how you could come away from that and say to yourself, yeah, no, still feel the same way. No, when Charles Barkley says, you know, I wish I got my ring, but if I was going to lose to anybody, Michael's the one because nobody got their ring against Michael. That's the kind of thing that sticks with you. You don't hear about athletes, especially with their contemporaries, talking about them that way. You You hear about it for very few people. And most of the time, it's a certain attribute, right? Players in Major League Baseball right now will talk about Aaron Judge's power differently. They'll talk about Bo Jackson back in the day Whenever he was just this freak athlete Differently But there's a certain aspect of their game That they're really talking about With Michael, it was just Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player I've ever seen Period. End of story. And so when I see that from these other guys, yes, I have a greater appreciation for Michael Jordan. I never watched him in his prime the way that you did, Jamie, the way that a lot of our audience did. I'm 27 years old. I was six when he won his last title. It's different for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't watch it live. I don't have the same emotional investment the way that you did or that most of our listeners do. And so when I am presented new information... I will have a new stance on it. Yes, I have a greater appreciation for Michael Jordan. Yes, I also think that we can have the comparisons and the conversations about Jordan versus LeBron. How did I do there, Jamie?
3: You did great, actually, and I'm proud of you, okay? I remember being just a young guy. (laughs) No, but seriously, all jokes aside, here's the way I look at it, okay? And I have come, not full circle, but pretty close on LeBron where I've given him a lot of compliments and and that he is right now the modern-day basketball greatest player, Okay. But here's what I want to bounce off of you two, both of you. If you had one game to win, one game to win, and it was a long season, long series, game seven, everybody's at the end of the line for energy and all this stuff, are you taking Michael or are you taking LeBron? Okay. Now let you think about that for a second. I'm taking Michael Jordan, and it's not because I don't like LeBron personally, okay? That's all I'm I'm thinking as a coach right now. LeBron has had many accomplishments, and he is a big game player, and he is fantastic, okay? But Michael Jordan is ferocious. He's ferocious. This guy, you know, we talked about the UFC guy last week, Gatchy. I came out here ready to die in the octagon, right? Michael Jordan, to me, was ready to lay out flat and die of a heart attack on the court in order to win. And I think just that one little thing separates him and LeBron. And so me, if I'm picking one player for Game 7 at the end of it, I'm taking Michael Jordan based on that alone.
2: I would say this. For a game, and I'll answer that question first. For a game, I will take Michael. I will take Michael. If I'm starting a team, though, and I'm building a roster, I will take LeBron because I think LeBron makes the rest of my roster better than Michael does. I think LeBron can do so many different things at such a high level. I'll build my team around LeBron. But for a game, I agree with you. I would take Michael to take that last shot to, ma- to to win that one individual game.
4: I think I would take Jordan for both. I would take Jordan for a game because you know that he's going to close it out for you and the stats back it up. But I think I would also start the team with him too, BK, just because of what we saw in the last dance documentary of how he turned every one of his teammates into a kind of smaller role model of Michael Jordan on the court. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on
2: 101 ESPN. Coming up at 1130, we're going to talk with Buster Olney. He was mowing his lawn on Friday. He's going to join us today though. I believe that very much. Coming up next, the 2014 playoff format starting to look more and more likely for the NHL. We'll discuss what it means next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. The 24-team playoff scenario,
1: uh, that's been talked about on and off for about a month, um, but it sort of picked up steam this week, uh, has gained more attention. Um, the idea of not finishing the regular season, logistically, that might, being too, right, that might be too impossible. And then to switch it to a 24-team uh, playoff scenario, where you would have um, you know, clusters of six teams in, in four different places, and have some semblance of a a play-in series or play-in game. To uh, figure out what the lower seeds are going to be
2: With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers I'm Brandon Kylie. it's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN, that was Greg Wasinski of ESPN on the show a couple of weeks ago, and it sounds like he may have been on to something with this Jamie, because Pierre LeBron over the weekend said, quote, sources confirm progress has been made this weekend on a 24-team format to return to play He is told that the proposed 24-team format does not go straight to the playoffs, but it does involve games in some form before Hand, that would be something the players would have pushed for. Greg Wyshynski adding over the weekend as well. It sounds like those games might not be with all 30 teams back. It will be the 24 teams that ultimately play a round-robin type of tournament before you get into the postseason. And then the way that they would structure it is the number one and number two team, number two seed in each of those hubs, the four hubs potentially, after the round-robin tournament would get the bye week, and the other four teams that were seated below them, they would play in that first round in a best-of-three potential series is kind of what they're looking at right now. All of this is subject to change. It is changing wildly depending on the day that you ask these people, it sounds like. But what do you think about what appears to be right now the leader in the clubhouse for the format to return, Jamie?
3: Yeah, I don't mind it. You know, last week I went on record saying that I wish they would just go back and do the 16 team and have the traditional playoff. But, you know, the more I read about things and different opinions and talking to current players and a couple of current uh, GMs, the teams need revenue. They need revenue out of this. How do they find How do they find hidden revenue in this time of crisis? By adding more teams. By adding teams like Chicago and Montreal. And, and making sure that those big markets are able to contribute to the rest of this. Whether it's through purchasing games on TV, their TV deals, whatever. And no matter how they can do it, they're trying to generate revenue here for the owners. Now, that being said, I still don't think that the teams that are the one and two seed are going to really enjoy that buy.
2: Okay. So, I have something different that I would say about this, Jamie. It's interesting that you say that. I don't like that the one and two seeds are up for grabs. I think that you should play the round-robin tournament, the one and two seeds included. So, for instance, the Blues would probably be a one or two seed in whatever region they would be in right now. If if you go through this round-robin tournament, instead of determining the buy for those teams, have them be included in the round-robin, and then they get the buy anyways. I don't like that they would be included in the best-of-three. The Blues shouldn't be subject to a best-of-three series if they do poorly in a round-robin tournament whenever they get back.
3: Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. But it, uh, look, at at the end of the day, the Blues have kind of earned the right. and But that's where I'm at the point with this now to where... I don't, no matter who ends up the one or two seed, no matter how they get to it, I would anticipate that the Blues would have a really good shot at being one of those teams. But I still don't like that format because as much as the playoffs are a grind, as much as players get beat down and tired and all that, to have that little break of intensity. While the other guys are going at it, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to walk in the door and turn on the switch, literally like flip the switch, and now you're back in playoff mode where the other team really hasn't had any break. They've been in playoff mode continually. We've seen it before. Teams that sweep in a first round or second round, and they're laying there waiting just for the next opponent. The first game or the first two games back after that, if the next team that they play had a six- or seven-game series, it's weird how it works. But the team that should be the most tired seems to have the most energy because they're still in it mentally. With a three-game
2: series, though, I don't think that would be a significant challenge it would, because you'd be in one city and you wouldn't have any travel days. You, it should be no more than a five-day layoff of what still, you're looking at.
3: What, you, what I'm talking about, even a five-day layoff, a three-day layoff when you have the intensity cranked up like that, I'm telling you from personal experience that it is not the best solution. Sometimes having the best record and doing well hurts you. Back in, I think, 98... I think here we put out, we knocked L. A. out in four straight that year. Maybe it was '99. I'm not sure. Can't remember. My brain's getting old. However, <laughs> my point is, is that we won four straight, but then we had to sit and wait, and sit and wait. And you know, Coach Q was great about it. He's like, "Okay, guys, look at. I just want you to go get refreshed, take the weekend off, no practice. Go Saturday, Sunday. Go whatever you got to do. Come back ready." We were never the same team when we came back. We were rolling, man. To put L. A. out four straight, we were rolling and we were dangerous. But we were never the same team, and we couldn't get that energy ramped up again right away. Now, I know a 3 out of 5 is a different scenario, but what what if it goes 5? Now I, that's, I think it's
2: best—isn't it best of 3 is what it, they're looking they're at? They're talking so about
4: those first couple— Being
2: first, a 2 out of 3 is yeah. best of 3, yeah. All right. So well, that, that would makes be it better like a 5-day stretch where you're not playing that they are. And that, that's why I'm saying I actually think it's a huge advantage for the 1 and 2 seeds because you're not subjected to a potential—like, let's say a goalie gets hot— and you win two games in a row, and then the other team's out, and it's over. Mm. At least for the Blues, if you do avoid that best-of-three series, now you're into a best-of-seven situation is what I understand this format to be, and you're going up against whichever team won the best-of-three. You could potentially be looking at as few as two, three days that you were off that they were playing and it's well, would make you get to refresh yourself a little bit. I, I wouldn't have an issue with that. I would have the bigger issue with the blues being subjected to having to play that round robin and earning that seed again when they've already earned that seed based on what they've done the first 60 plus games of the regular season.
4: To Jamie's point, though, the advantage to those lower teams that are just getting in because of the twenty fourteen playoff, like an example are the Chicago Blackhawks. They were playing probably the most invincible style of hockey of anybody in the West going into this kind of postponement because they knew. They they were out of it, and they just didn't care. Now, you take into consideration guys who don't care, getting into the playoffs, having a fresh set of teams. They're the ones that are going to throw everything out there, and I think those are going to be the challenging ones. So that, on top of already getting to play two or three games before the number 1 or 2 team, seed team, that's where I think the disadvantage is going to come in. But nobody's going to be happy in these scenarios.
3: Never a perfect world, especially when you're dealing with something as unique as we're dealing with. So all it means, though, fellas, is the Blues are just going to have to be sharp right away. Craig Berube, we know, the chief, he's going to be barking down the back of their neck as soon as they get back. And then the leadership group, it's on them to carry the ball from there. With Jamie Rivers
2: and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Buster Olney is one of the best MLB analysts in the business. He's actually going to join us today. and He'll be on next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Croupin Celebrity Line, where we are happy to be joined by Buster Olney. He's on Twitter at Buster underscore ESPN. And of course, he is the MLB insider for ESPN and ESPN.com. Buster, we are happy to be joined by you today. How are you doing, my friend?
5: I'm doing okay. Sorry to leave me hanging the other day. Boy, did I feel stupid. It is a-okay.
2: We were the ones that felt dumb. We uh, And that's, that's nothing new for us, Buster. That's just kind of our typical day-to-day basis. So let's start with this, Buster. You wrote earlier today for ESPN.com about the players and the union potentially being able to come out of this as the bigger men. What was your big point in that article that you wanted to get across? <laughs>
5: Well, they have this sort of weird, unusual leverage. The relationship between Major League Baseball and the player Association, uh, to me, is the worst that it's been since the mid-90s. In recent years, the players have been very upset. They want adjustments to things like free agency, uh, service time manipulation, some of the tanking that's going on in baseball, and this... This current situation actually provides a moment when they could go big picture and say to the owners, and I actually think that there would be some open-mindedness on the other side, look, we know you guys are, the owners are taking a big financial hit this year. Uh, let's talk about a new uh, a, a, a collective bargaining agreement that wraps this year and next year into, say, an extension of some kind, and let's address some of the other issues that we have uh, you know, they, the, the players last week, we heard that they uh, didn't like the idea of doing a 50-50 revenue split. Well, you know what? Use some of those concerns. I think the better position of players moving forward, I think, would be a really smart thing. Uh, and it would—it certainly beat some of the alternatives we're hearing about.
2: Do you think there's any chance that we actually get that fifty-fifty split, though, Buster? Because it, it seems, based on what we heard from Tony Clark, that that's just—it's a non-starter for the union.
5: Uh, I don't—I don't think that they are open to a straight fifty-fifty split. I think there's going to be some negotiations. Uh, one of the ideas is, uh, you know, potentially some salary deferrals. But I—I I think that's too small bore uh, for the players to. To do, like I, I, think what they would get out of that would be uh, one year of, of beating the owners this year in that negotiations, for lack of a better way to describe it, and uh, you know a small chunk of money for this year. But then when the CBA would open up again next year, I think the owners would come back with a vengeance. Like I think they would be upset that uh, that, that, that the players use their leverage in that way, and they would hammer back. And, and so I think that. Uh, Again, I think the players ought to think big picture and figure out a way to to, to better position the union for years to come rather than focus on just a a singular victory right now.
3: Now, Buster, this question has been kind of eating at me for a couple of days now with this 50-50 split. Why do the par- the players view it as such a negative? I, I've been looking online and doing some research. Some of these teams are putting together some pretty good revenue. A 50-50 split seems like it would be okay for some of them. Am I way well, out on left field here? No, I actually, I
5: actually wrote a column in in the end of March because I, I view you know the the current situation is like baseball is in trouble, like the industry is in trouble, and I, I feel like that. The moment calls for imagination and collaboration and trying to land, uh, you know, land safely. I've, made, I've compared baseball where it is right now to you guys who've seen the movie Apollo 13. Like the ship is damaged and it's drifting in space. And, you know, the focus, because the uh, the original mission is obsolete, and the focus really should be on landing safely and trying to move forward But instead, what we have is the the two uh, astronauts arguing over who gets to sit next to the window. Uh, And it kind of what we saw last week with, you know, uh, Tony Clark, the head of the Player Association, putting out a statement saying, you know, we'll never agree to a salary cap. It's not a a long term thing. It's not like the owners are saying you're going to have to have a salary cap forever. They're just trying to get through this year without absolutely getting crushed financially. And there's no doubt that you know, they're not taking in revenue. Like this sport, like all businesses right now, is just trying to figure out a way to navigate through. And I agree with you. I, I think uh, you know, at least at the, at the root of it, saying, okay, we'll talk about splitting revenue 50-50. Here's some other things we'd like to talk about.
2: We're talking with Buster Olney. He's a MLB insider for ESPN and ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Buster underscore ESPN. Buster, we've been talking about these money issues now for, I mean, in, in terms of being the number one storyline since MLB put out its plan, basically a week now, have you seen any sort of progress? Do you feel more optimism today than we did when we first heard these conversations?
5: I've heard from moderates on both sides, and by that I mean like agents and some players and some some uh, team officials who believe that in the end, these two sides will have to come together. Uh, we did hear from Blake Snell last week where he basically, and I'm paraphrasing, look, you know, we're we're taking a hit. Um, You know, the, I might get uh, hit with the coronavirus. I'm not going to play for, you know, reduced salary. And Bryce Harper, you know, followed up the next day and said, he ain't lying, bro. I do think there are a lot of players who would say, I'm not going to participate in that regard. And I got to tell you, like, I, I feel like, it, that, that any public conversation now about money and haggling over money is not good for anybody. And it's really not good for the players because even if they're, look, there are definitely elements of truth to what Blake Snell's saying. But with, you know, 30 million people out of work and families losing so much and people, uh, you know, dropping uh, dead because of the coronavirus, I, I just don't think it's a smart thing to talk about publicly. Which is why when I heard Blake Snell's thing last week, my reaction was, don't, like, or don't say, don't talk about that stuff out loud. Take that behind closed doors, haggle with the owners behind closed doors, uh, and then come out, whether you get an agreement or not, come out smiling, shake hands, because people are hurting in this country, and they don't want to hear that.
3: Now, Buster, we know that as we get closer, it'll be a players' vote within the Players Association and they'll go back to the owners with a yay or nay. Now, my question for you is how much will it impact the vote for the Players Union if, you know, we have guys like Blake Snell coming out? Obviously, he's not as big of a player as like Bryce Harper or Mike Trout early on talking about how he didn't want to be away from his family. We know that that's probably less of a concern now the way they're structuring it, but. All it takes is four or five or six big names to say, you know what, it ain't worth it for me right now. And I'm just wondering, how will that affect the vote? And then even if the players vote yes after that, how does it affect the owners from that point? How do you think they'll handle maybe their premier player saying, no, I'm good this year?
5: I, I get the feeling as is, is this goes along that there's more and more of a focus of, look, we got to try. We got to try to make it happen. Uh, and so there are going to be, I think they're recognizing Rob Manfred in an interview on, on CNN the other night, uh, acknowledged that there may be players who will choose not to participate and they're going to have to figure out what to do about those guys. Um, you know, I, I personally think that if, uh, you know, someone like a Mike Trout shoes where his wife is expecting their first child and he doesn't want to miss that. I think his feelings need to be respected. Now, there would have to be some discussion about, okay, as a process, what do we do with his contract? Uh, What do we do with his service time, et cetera, et cetera. But I think they'll work through that because I think the biggest thing is they feel like that uh, it's going to be important to baseball fans and to, you know, the court of public opinion that if they have the opportunity to try to play, that they at least try, even if it means that they start up, Uh, And then there's a, you know, burst of positive tests and they have to, to, you know, stop and the whole thing is derailed. I do feel like that, they, that they're that they getting a growing sense of we have to at least make an attempt to make this work.
3: Now, my, my thoughts after that is I'm thinking about, OK, so they're going to give it a shot. They try. They get to it. They get the yes vote. Everybody seems like they're on the same page. But then we find out afterwards, after all said and done, that all the not all a lot of the premier players are like, no, nah, it ain't going to happen. How will that affect the deal at that point, based on the fact that they'd agreed in principle now, they had a vote, and now let's say, let's just use Mike Trout, just because he's the biggest name in baseball. Say, hey, Mike Trout decided he's staying home. Well, that's going to affect the revenues. And if there's two or three Mike Trouts that decide to stay home, the revenues are affected. Do the owners at that point balk at the deal and say, whoa, this is not going to happen now?
5: If it's a huge number, I, I think that's absolutely a fair point. I don't think it would be because I do believe that, you know, based again on what I'm hearing from agents from what I'm hearing from players, there is a silent majority of guys saying, hey, let's go. Because not everybody has Mike uh, Trout's bankroll. Not everybody has Clayton Kershaw's bankroll. Uh, some people, uh, I-, I think, view uh, the situation more aggressively. And they're like, you know what? We got to do the best we can according to the statistics. I'm at low risk, and they're ready to move forward. Other people feel differently, and the one thing we've learned is uh, that, in a sense, that there's an opportunity here. I mean, you guys have seen the ratings for the Jordan, for the Last Dance documentary, and you guys saw the ratings for the the NFL draft. If you actually get a major league product out there, even if it doesn't have a you know one premier player or you know a handful of premier players. I think they believed that they would do well, um, and, and on top of that, I, I think that they will have demonstrated, you know, we've made a, we've tried, you know, as I say, last week when Blake Snell said what he said, there were players who backed him, but let's face it, it kind of puts the sport in a weird place, because now, there are a lot of fans wondering, look, is this just about money? Are these guys seriously just haggling over money? So if they don't get started, there's going to be a perception among some fans that it was about money. That's a real problem. So I think that they'll be okay if they just get off the ground a little bit and make an attempt somewhat, even if it means that some players sit out. And there is an expectation on both sides. That some players will will not will choose not to participate.
2: We're talking with Buster Olney, MLB Insider for ESPN and ESPN.com. Buster, I wanted to ask you, kind of moving forward from this. Let's say they are able to return, but the revenues are obviously not going to be what they expected for this season. How much does that affect? I mean, the off season with free agency, teams yeah. that have a higher payroll than what they're ultimately going to be able to contribute next year. Like, how much are these teams going to be hurting moving forward for some of these player salaries?
5: Which is uh, underscores why I think the big, the player association really needs to see, to look at this big picture. Cause there's no doubt, uh, from what I've heard, that there are going to be franchises that are going to take, get crushed by this. Uh, to the point that you may, may see some teams' uh, ownership say, look, uh, I took too big of a hit. I have to get out of the game and I have to sell the team. Um, yeah. And it's to the degree that whenever, because right now the rosters are frozen, there is an expectation among general managers that whenever the rosters are unfrozen, that's going to be like 9.30 at the stock market where the bell's going to ring and you're going to see teams looking to dump debt as much as possible. And and this is just total speculation on my part, but it's a name that's mentioned a lot uh, among general managers. They wonder, for example, what's going to happen with the Cleveland Indians and Francisco Lindor. That this is, you know, an expensive player who's got some trade value. The Indians are a small market team. You know, they don't have the revenues of the Yankees and the Dodgers. So once they get the opportunity to move them, will they basically just look to dump dump him uh, and his salary to reduce the losses that they're going to take for this year? I think that's an equation it's going to have a real factor on the moves you're going to see once baseball gets restarted.
2: I love that you mentioned him because he's a name that we've brought up a few times, Buster, as the Cardinals potentially being an option for him. They are not a big market team, and they're going to get hit by the lack of revenue that they're having from the fans not being able to go to the stands, but... If you're looking at Francisco Lindor with one year left on his contract, and then maybe next year the salaries are suppressed by the fact that the free agency market is lowered, is this a situation where the Cardinals could ultimately take advantage of that market?
5: They could uh, possibly, for sure, because I, I think the one thing that everyone's wondering about is how much does you know what's going on now affect the free agent prices going forward. You know, we. You know, knuckleheads like me before this uh, spring training started, we were speculating on whether or not Mookie Betts was going to be the second $400 million player behind Mike Trout. Now, based on what we've seen, that would be a shock. Like, I, I think it would be a shock to people if he got $300 million. So if you're, and, and, you know, we're looking at it from the team perspective, look at it from the player perspective. What happens now if Mookie Betts, you know, they, we all go back to work and the Dodgers say to him, and I'm speculating the numbers, let's say they offered him $300 million. How do you turn that down? You know, how do you turn down if you're Francisco Lindor, a team being willing to offer you $250 million? There's no doubt that the financial landscape is going to change. It's hard to say exactly where the goalposts move, uh, you know, until we get, uh, I think, into this and, and see more clarity. But there's no question that there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be hammered by this. And for teams that have some payroll flexibility, I think the San Francisco Giants are in that realm. Uh, You know, we'll see about the Cardinals. No question that the uh, names will be moved because of what we're seeing now. That's always happened in baseball history. We saw it with the 94 Expos having to dump guys like Larry Walker Uh, back in the 30s, guys like Lefty Grove Hall of Famers because of what was happening nationally uh, with the economy.
3: Now, Buster, last question for me, which is pretty important. It's been on my mind since Friday. Uh, When you're mowing your lawn, is it a (laughs) sit-down mower or a push mower? It's actually both. Uh, we We have these two areas
5: of the lawn. My kids, when I just say go do the triangle, they know that's the area where I don't want the riding tractor to tear up the grass. So when I missed you guys the other day it was cuz I was on the riding lawn mower but leaving those triangles for the kids.
3: There I we go, I it. like it. I would be I would be disappointed if we didn't have a little bit of the push mower though. We got to keep our cardio up, right?
5: we got to keep our cardio up for sure, and I grew up on a dairy farm, and, and that uh, you feel like you have an obligation to maintain the grass as best as possible.
2: He's Buster only. You can find him on Twitter at Buster <laughs> underscore ESPN. Read his work at ESPN.com. Buster, real quick before you get out of here, how likely are we to have baseball on the 4th of July?
5: I, I think it's a long shot. I think there are going to be complications along the way, and if I had to bet the family farm one way or the other, I think the season at best is going to be truncated, that they'll start and then they'll have to stop because of a group of positive tests. Um, I I do think that they'll reach some kind of a financial agreement, but I think it's going to be derailed before then. Here's the bottom line. Sorry to be uh, a little bit long-winded, no, but when you think about they're going to ask a group of about 2,000 young men, you know, 22 to 30 years old, to effectively stay in a bubble, uh, good luck with that. Uh, I think that's going to be really hard to be able to try to do that for three, four months.
2: He's Buster only. You can find him ESPN.com is where you find the work and at Buster underscore ESPN on Twitter. Buster, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today.
5: Yep, absolutely. And sorry about the the uh, my mix-up the other day. My- <laughs> no problem. We got
2: a great story out of it, if nothing else. Okay. All right, yeah. Buster. Talk to you soon. That is Buster only joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. A lot to react to there obviously not the way that we wanted to end with him saying he doesn't sound particularly optimistic about it. I also want to talk about what he said about franchises dumping players potentially and a quote that stuck out to me about what Buster only had to say. We'll get to it all next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We just had Buster Olney on the show of ESPN. If you missed it, check it out. 101ESPN.com is the place where you find it after we are done here today. Coming up in just about five minutes, we'll talk with Scott Burnside of The Athletic to talk about his piece on the 2014 NHL postseason. So I wanted to react to a few of the things, Jamie, that Buster Olney had to say on the show. Here's the first one of him. I'm talking about fighting over money being a big issue ultimately for the players and for Major League
5: Baseball. If you actually get a Major League product out there, even if it doesn't have a you know one premier player or you know a handful of premier players, I think they believe that they would do well. And, and on top of that, I think that they will have demonstrated. You know, we've made a we've tried. You know, as I say, last week when Blake Snell said what he said. There were players who backed him, but let's face it, it kind of puts the sport in a weird place because now there are a lot of fans wondering, look, is this just about money? Are these guys seriously just haggling over money? So if they don't get started, there's going to be a perception among some fans that it was about money. That's a real problem. Buster also had these quotes, Jamie. Quote,
2: baseball is in trouble. The moment calls for imagination and collaboration. Also, quote, these two sides are going to have to come together. And last one, quote, any public conversation about money is not good for anybody, and it's really not good for the players, end quote. It's hard to disagree with any of that. We had the same reaction that he did whenever we were talking about Blake Snell's comments on the show last week. It's just a bad look for the players. Mm -hmm. I can agree with Blake Snell all I want to. It doesn't matter. That's not what the public is looking for right now from players. And Blake Snell seems to not be able to read the room in that moment. Even if you're on Twitch, you got to be careful. Yeah.
3: Look, I I compared it over the weekend. I was talking to a couple of people, and I said, it's kind of like when you're negotiating for something, right? And the first person who brings up the money, the price, is usually the one who loses that negotiation. And I feel the same way with this. The first side to bring up money will lose the public's perception on this one, right? The Joe the public is going to be like, what? I can't believe the owners are so selfish, right, if it was that way. But now they're going, hey, I can't believe the players. Let's just get back to playing baseball. You know, there's my buddy Brian in Fenton. Well, Brian and Fenn every time he's probably like, what? But my buddy Brian and Fenn, he's working for twelve bucks an hour and he's out there every day. So screw you, baseball players. I don't care if you're on Twitch or not, or oh poor guy, right? First one to talk about money usually loses that 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 public perception of who's in the right and who's in the wrong they got to keep that money behind closed doors. Talk about health. Talk about procedures. Talk about anything. Leave the money behind closed doors.
2: Money is going to be an issue one way or another, and it's going to be an issue specifically after this season. If they, Even if they do play a full season this year, here's Buster only talking about teams dumping salaries after the year potentially.
5: Because there's no doubt, uh, from what I've heard, that there are going to be franchises that are going to take, get crushed by this uh, to the point that you may, may see some teams' uh, ownership say, look, uh, I took too big of a hit, I have to get out of the game and I have to sell the team. Because right now the rosters are frozen. There is an expectation among general managers that whenever the rosters are unfrozen, that's going to be like 9.30 at the stock market, where the bell's going to ring and you're going to see teams looking to dump debt as much as possible. And, And this is just total speculation on my part, but it's a name that's mentioned a lot. Uh, among general managers. They wonder, for example, what's going to happen with the Cleveland Indians and Francisco Lindor.
3: It's the name we've talked about a lot, Jamie. Oh, that made you so excited. It your it face did. lit up like a Christmas tree. You said I, that. I asked about him, and he was like, yeah, we'll
2: yeah, see. He I didn't get about about what you wanted out yeah, of that, right? He wasn't as excited you didn't as get I was. payoff. So he mentions Francisco Lindor specifically, But what he's really talking about there is there's going to be a lot of teams that look at their payroll and they look at the guys that they have under contracts right now and they say to themselves, we can't have this. This isn't good enough. We don't have the money. We don't have the revenues to be able to support the current payroll that we have. Anybody in our audience that owns a business right now is doing something similar Mm -hmm. where they say to themselves, let's say you own a restaurant, right? And you had previously 30 people that you were employing as your staff. Well, when you come back, it's probably not going to be 30 people because the overhead costs have to be cut down. You've got to start getting that operating income going up and the operating expenses have to go down. It's business 101. I know that and I don't know anything about business. (laughs) So if you're looking at a baseball team right now and you say to yourself, we typically expect to make uh, in terms of what we can put towards our our overall payrolls hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. and this year it's going to be sixty million dollars. Well, if you have that hundred million dollar payroll, you're forty million short right now. Operating there's at a loss. going to be people in charge of those teams that say to themselves, "Mm -mm, nope, we got to get down to 60. And so where's that $40 million come? The easiest way to do it, if you're a team like the Indians, for instance, is to cut the $20 million payroll uh, payroll player and move forward somewhere else.
3: I've said this since the very beginning, way back when it was you, me, and Stalt's patrol in the midday. I said it then that I worry that when we come back, especially with baseball, with no salary cap implemented in this league, teams will have clearance sales they will just be like, you know what, here you go. We want to, I got to get rid of them, especially the owners, the ones who can't survive this, this hit financially. It, it, they're competitive guys too, right? So they're not going to want to lose their team into bankruptcy or having to sell it or whatever the case is. They're going to get rid of the players and they're going to look to fight and get back into the game a different way. I'm just wondering what effect that has on Major League Baseball from there. When you have some of the top players being liquidated, for lack of better words, now what is that? It's a push-down effect. So now your your lower guy, your role player, might be out of the league. And so I wonder how the players are going to view this as they come back. This is where the players have to be very careful not to price themselves out of the game. To go way back before, I just talked about the Stars over Kansas, that whole story, right? Where the only guys who get paid are the Stars. This one here is tricky. you got to be very, very careful with the way the players go about this. If they're too selfish, they'll actually end up eliminating jobs from their own union.
4: We've talked a lot about how this
2: affects this season. It's going to be much bigger than just this season. Oh, this is it's like going a to three or four, four year plan. I guarantee you. Talked about it with David Sampson on Friday. It's going to be two to four years where this is going to significantly affect free agency and there's contracts that go even further that will be affected based on what's going on right now. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Scott Burnside wrote for the Athletic about the 2014 playoff and what that would look like for the NHL. We'll ask him about it next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN
2: With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley It's 12.04, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line where we are happy to be joined by Scott Burnside He's a national NHL writer for The Athletic and you can find him on Twitter at Overtime Scott B Scott, how are you doing today?
6: Very well. How are things in uh, St. Louis? Uh, any uh, sense of uh, optimism or excitement at the possibility that the NHL may be coming up with a return to play protocol, or how well, are things there?
3: We're kind of hoping to have you for that. You know, we go digging around <laughs> out here, but we're not reputable like you are. So we're counting on some big news from you today.
6: <laughs> well, I hope that, I hope I don't let many people down. But uh, I, and St. Louis, of course, is. Uh, no, it's one of the one of the favorite stops on the uh, on the circuit for the hockey raiders. There's no question. And for those of us who spent some time in St. Louis last summer and then at All Star, yeah, no, it's a uh, it, it's a prime location.
3: Yeah. So uh, based upon what you just said, okay, and we've been tossing it around for a couple of weeks now. That boy, we sure would like to see St. Louis be one of these hub cities. they are talking about. Do we have any more clarity on what they're doing with that? Is this going to be three or four cities? I've heard now uh, as low as two hub cities where they'll have 12 teams in each hub. I'm just wondering for the people here in St. Louis, are we still in the running here? Yeah, I would say
6: um, that St. Louis is probably down the list. And, and I think the NHL, you know, the NHL and the players um, who've combined for what they're calling the return-to-play committee, um, certainly the league has invited NHL cities to make presentations or proposals uh, outlining you know, why their specific community would be uh, a good location to hold, you know, and we, in like you were, it's a very fluid situation. So we're hearing, are they looking at four hub cities, which would have, I think what they're looking at is a twenty-four 2014 um, grid to start with. So four cities at six uh, teams, Per city, Uh, I know Darren Dreger at TSN uh, and others perhaps have been uh, uh, reporting that the return to play committee, which met again over the weekend, is also looking at, you know, could you cut down the number of cities and go with, you know, doubling up the number of teams. So two hub cities with 12 teams in each to start with. Now, you know, my sense of that is, uh, you know, when the players in the league are looking at all of the options, One of the things you don't want is you don't want to have travel. You don't want to have having teams move around. So if you had um, two cities, that cuts down on the potential for something unforeseen to come up, where you have to make a switch. And again, because all of this is so fluid in terms of where the pandemic is at, how could communities respond to having the NHL in their communities? Uh, It would require a high level of testing. Uh, The league and the players don't want any part of a situation where they're seen as, you know, where they're a drain on the local health uh, initiative. So um, my suspicion is that's why we're looking at, okay, could you do it in two cities? And that way, maybe you have less of an issue of having to, to, uh, you know, make a change on the go. I would say that St. Louis is probably not in that list of, you know, top three or four cities. uh, But again, it's a very fluid situation. I know Canadian cities... Um, Toronto, Vancouver, Edmonton—they have surfaced uh, part of the issue there: the the low Canadian dollar and the cost of uh, of having a, uh, a situ- you know having a, a group of teams in a Canadian city would be much lower than it would be in some American cities. Uh, I believe that Minneapolis, St. Paul is still uh, very high on the list. I think Vegas is in there too. Uh, certainly, the, the the hotel situation. Uh, there are practice rink. Uh, that would be available, uh, which is also an important factor when you're, you're looking at having 12 teams over a period of time playing uh, uh, you know, five games likely. So you need to factor that in as well. So it's, uh, it's very much a moving target, but my sense is that we're getting closer and closer to a point where the NHL and the players would like to say, hey, this is the format that we would like to move forward with um, and then you start to knock down and check the boxes in terms of when you might physically be able to uh, see games actually played uh, likely into July um, and, and moving through August.
2: We're talking with Scott Burnside. He's a national NHL writer for the athletic joining us here on ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So I, I know Scott, for a lot of people, the big holdup with the 24 team playoff is, well, why not 20? Why do you need those extra two, two teams per conferences? We've kind of talked about that ad nauseum at this point, but, My big holdup that I have here is this round robin that you have talked about in your piece that people can find at The Athletic and the idea that a team such as the Blues, for instance, would ultimately drop from having a bye based on how they perform in that round robin. Is, Is that a hang up for other people as well or am I off on an island on this one?
6: Yeah, no, and I think, you know, again, if you're looking at a 24 team grid, so one of the models I, I think they've looked at is that, so you've got six teams, you have to play some games, right? You have to, there has to be a way to build up after uh, weeks and weeks of being away from the game. And, and I know players are really cognizant of, you know, how much training camp time would they need. I've heard, you know, two plus weeks. I'm not sure if that's a workable thing depending on the schedule. Um, But you need to have teams that play games, uh, to to me, before you get to an elimination situation, whatever that format is. I like the idea of the round robin, and I think it's appealing on a number of levels, is that you're not talking about dropping uh, teams out based on their play in the round robin. You would have to incorporate the results of the round robin. Let's say there are five games, each of the teams playing the other in their group group. Uh, one time, uh, you'd have to incorporate the results of that somehow into what has already happened during the you know, 68 or 69 or 70 games that have already been played. Um, so, but I don't think what we're talking about in, in, you know, with six teams, you'd still be looking at the top two teams uh, getting a bye, then team three versus team six and four versus five, and I'm guessing a two of three play-in, and that gets you to your regular 16-team Rotation, So I don't think the Blues would be in danger. You know, could Colorado jump them into the top spot in the Central Division? You know, that's certainly a possibility. But my sense is that St. Louis and and, and Colorado would be teams that would almost certainly get a buy into the, you know, I'm using my air quotes, here, the first traditional round of the playoffs, the first best of seven, uh, and not be forced into a best of three scenario. That's a dangerous thing. I know that some teams have been... You know, the pushback comes maybe where you've got a team like Chicago, uh, Montreal in the East. Both those teams would be the 12th teams based on winning percentage that would go into this grid. Uh, both teams were clear sellers at the trade deadline. And I know, uh, you know, talking to players in, in the Eastern Conference, the, the, the prospect of playing Kerry Price in a, a short two out of three series, that's, that's not a great, you know that that comes with some danger to it. If you're, you, you know, the potential if you can't get off the ground quickly, that you could be uh, very quickly out of uh, out of the competition in, in that scenario. But I don't think the Blues would have to worry about that if there's a six team uh, situation. Um, and uh, it, you know, they the kind of you know, when you're talking about all of the moving parts here. Definitely some teams are going to be unhappy with it. I don't have a problem with the 24 teams, and I think, frankly, having teams like the New York Rangers, Chicago Blackhawks, Montreal Canadiens, big market teams, um, all 500 or better during the regular season as it's been played thus far, uh, I don't have a problem with including them in, in, in this kind of format.
3: Scott, uh, last one for me here is if we do get hockey back on the ice, no matter what the format, how many teams, you know, all that I could care less about at this point. I just want them back playing. But the biggest question I have following all that up is what will hockey look like? You know, we've seen some of these skeleton models of, you know, how they're going to have to stay two feet away on faceoffs and no spitting and this and that and all these ideas, of course, trying to keep people safe. Will hockey look the same for us when we come back? And if so, how hard will it be for the NHL to maintain that without running the risk of players' health?
6: Yeah, well, and, and I mean, listen, there is going to be inherent risk if they come back, right? I mean, it's it's like I, I live in Georgia. Uh, all of the issues in, in, in returning to some sort of normalcy here, uh, you know, whether it's opening up barbershops, whether it's opening up restaurants at 25%, Capacity. There is inherent risk in all of that. There will be that with hockey when it comes back. Uh, I don't think I've seen some of those models. I don't really think the NHL is looking at standing three feet apart on a off Listen, the game is the game. It's going to be physical. There will be people in close proximity. The issue is going to be in the testing. The issue is going to be in the response. If a player does end up testing positive, uh, how does that work? How does the quarantine? How does the treatment work? Right after that. Um, I think the hockey actually has potential to be very good. And I mean we talked to you know top players really since the pause. and um, and the blues are a perfect example of that. Uh, you you know the potential for a full healthy lineup at the start of the playoffs as opposed to um, you know, having grown through a eighty two game schedule going into the playoffs with with star players hurt. Um, you know, having Tarasenko back in the lineup, the Blues should come in as a as a favorite, I would think, going into whatever the format looks like, because they're a team with experience and because they're going to be healthy. I think a lot of players believe that the level of hockey could be higher than we normally see at playoff time, given the, the the, uh, the, 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 the battle of attrition that is the regular season. So, you know, will it look and sound different? Yes. I think the league and the players are, are working towards, you know, how you mitigate some of that. You'll never replicate the, the, the emotion of a playoff bar in games, game six in the final last year, game seven in Boston. You can't replicate that anyway. But I do think the actual product on the ice has the potential to be very, very good.
2: He's Scott Burnside. You can read his work on The Athletic where he's a national NHL rider. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Overtime Scott B. Scott, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Yeah, anytime, guys. Absolutely. That's Scott Burnside joining us here on Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. I want to react to what he had to say there, Jamie, about how it's going to look. He says, listen, the game is going to be the game. Somebody should probably tell Major League Baseball that, too. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
6: Yeah, I've seen some of those models. I don't really think the NHL is looking at standing three feet apart on a faceoff. Listen, the game is the game. It's going to be physical. There will be people in close proximity. The issue is going to be in the testing. The issue is going to be in the response. If a player does end up testing positive, uh, how does that work? How does the quarantine, how does the treatment work right after that? Um, I think the hockey actually has potential to be very good. With former Blues
2: Defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Scott Burnside of the Athletic Moments Ago. If you missed that, you can find it on the podcast page, 101 ESPN.com after the show. I think he makes a really important point there, Jamie, because there is no way to mitigate all risk. It's impossible. If you're going to play hockey, there are going to be moments where the guys are crashing up against the boards. There are going to be moments where you have a face-off where the guys are close together. There are going to be moments where the puck is going down the ice and you've got one dude that's going to check another dude. That's going to happen. This is sports. And so, if you want to have certain guys six feet away from each other on the bench, whatever. If you want to have the coach behind the plexiglass, whatever. All of these things are more there for us to be able to view them. It's more for perception than it is for anything based in reality. But I do think it is important to remember, at the end of the day, you're going to have to play baseball. You're going to have to play hockey. Whatever these sports are that are returning, the actual action on the ice or on the field is going to have to look somewhat similar to what we're used to.
3: So the hamster is running in its wheel right now. And here's where my head is going on this one. And we talk about The teams wanting to come back and play regular season games or some kind of games before we get to the playoffs. Now we're talking about this round-robin play-in type format. Here's why I think now, and it just kind of slapped me in the forehead here. Here's why I think that's so important now, especially in this situation. Yes, it's nice to get the reps. It's nice to get back on the ice and get the feel and get used to each other again. All that stuff. Yeah, that's fantastic. Great job, guys. The flip side of that, though, is how are we going to get used to what the NHL is now? How is it going to feel to play without fans? How's it going to feel to have maybe some goofy rules in place, right? So the first couple of games of this round robin or whatever they decide to make them be, it's going to literally be guys figuring it out. You're not going to have that crowd roaring. You're not going to have that ability to feed off the energy of the crowd. It's going to feel probably awkward at first for the guys because it's going to feel like a inner squad game rather than a real game. And then the players will figure it out because of the greatest athletes in their sport. They will figure out how to channel this energy, how to create this intensity. And I do agree that we will get to a product. That's probably best we've seen in a long time for playoffs based upon the rest that these players are getting and the ability to, you know, bumps and bruises and and especially the blues case and the Bruins, I guess too, is those teams have played a lot of hockey in the last calendar year. But for me, the biggest part is when they come back is getting used to what is the NHL now? How do we play within it? How do we figure out how to get to our top-level intensity in our, good, our best game with all these different circumstances presenting themselves? I
4: think the 618 sends a good text says, "What's the point of two feet apart in a face-off when they go at it in the corners? Kind of like we're talking about." But he says, "Is, is it going to be like might hockey? A lot of stick defending, and I think that's what you're talking about." Yeah, there, I don't Riz. think
3: it's going to be like that. See, that's you're right, but you have to. You're going to be
4: adjusting to whatever the NHL is,
3: and it's going to start that way. And that's why I, I brought up how it's going to be so important to have that three, four games, two, three, whatever they decide it's going to be, to figure it out. Because they're going to start off tentatively, I guarantee you. A players are going to yeah. be like, yeah, you know, it's going to be like feeling it out, right? right? You know, but then once they get going, they're going to figure it out quickly. And they're going to be, you know what? We're playing hard. I'm blocking shots. I'm going to go into the net. I'm going to crash into the corner. I'm going to defend this guy hard because that's their natural instincts. And that's why it's so important that the league have some systems in place to protect the players from themselves because their natural instincts will take over. So that's why I believe uh, that the testing is important. And 618 here, put them all in face masks. Well,
2: you it's know. It's not re- realistic <laughs> on the field. You're not going to do that while they're playing their sport. It's, it's just not realistic.
3: And one thing, too, to remember here, uh, everyone, is even if they wear the full face mask, two things. One, if it's a cage, obviously it's a moot point. Right? Right. Things are flying everywhere. But what people don't realize is even the, f- the the full bubble, the the glass of the visor, the full visor, it you know, it has a ton of squares underneath the nose, so players can breathe. Right. So it kind of defeats the purpose. It's no different than wearing a half shield out there. I
2: think I'm guessing they're talking about this mask, like what we're wearing around well, the office right now. And that it's well,
3: not if it's a full face mask, then it would cover your eyes. And you too. can't breathe well enough. Like It'd It'd be be hard it, to see your. There are a, ton in of a things.
2: Bubble. So I, I also think, like to your point of getting players used to what's, what it's going to look like, it's not just when they're on the ice either. It's also what their daily routine is going to look like. I was reading Major League Baseball's yeah. report from over the weekend as to what this is all going to look like. I'm going to read you a few of these. This is not everything. This is a few of the things that they're talking about. Players are going to wear face mask anytime they're not on the field. They will stand six feet apart during the National Anthem and six feet apart in the dugout. There will be no spitting. There will be no chewing tobacco. There will be no sunflower seeds. Showering will be discouraged. Indoor batting cage use is also discouraged and players will not be allowed to use the team or leave the team hotel on the road unless they receive prior approval. And that's not even going into any of the before any given game day. You could potentially be tested in the morning. You have to have your temperature taken. There are like checkpoints as you go to the stadium or to the ice rink. There are tens of different things that are unusual compared to what a typical game day would look like for these players. Jamie, you know this as well as anybody. Players are Mm routine-driven. They do the same thing basically every day. They do the same thing to get ready for their games on the same time span. At a certain time, they go to get their ankles taped. At a certain time, they put their jersey on. They do it a certain way. They do... This is all going to have to potentially change. Mm -hmm. Their routines will be disrupted by the way that the game day operations will take place. And so it's not just the on-ice product that needs to have those few games for it. It's also what does it look like for you to get to the rink? What does it look like when you get there? How do you get yourself prepared for the game? All of this is going to take time to get used to for these players.
3: I think what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to concede to the fact that they'll be using these things as guidelines. I don't think they'll be able to implement them as rules because think about this for a second. If baseball is saying players will stand six feet apart during national anthem, sit six feet apart in the dugout. So why is it different for baseball than for hockey? Because hockey players won't be able to sit six feet apart on the bench at any given time. Nor will they be able to really be six feet apart from anybody on the ice if they're actually in the play. They should be either covering somebody or they have the puck, they're being checked. So why is that different? Right, so then it's going to have to be loosely interpreted to where it's guidelines. We just suggest that you don't spit on the ice. We suggest that you don't spit on the bench. And otherwise, what are you going to do? You have to add an extra referee that now all of a sudden is the COVID nineteen ref. And if there's an infraction, the team go, the other team goes on a power play. Like I don't know how far are we going to go with this?
4: Well, I thought baseball. Ken Rosenthal made a great point in his article too. Like, what are you going to do if a player just mistakenly fist bump somebody or high five somebody because it's going to happen. You can't break that tradition they've been doing for 20, 30 years. What are you going to do? Are you going to find them if they throw the ball and don't put a new ball in play? Like there's a lot of gray
3: areas. Yeah, like and, what if you want to punch somebody in the face? That's going to happen. That, what about that, that one? That's
2: apparently a huge thing that Major League You're joking, I know. I'm not joking. But for Major League Baseball. <laughs> I'm talking about hockey. Okay. well that, baseball, that, That's punch. also an issue. Come on, baseball. Well, Major League Baseball in their report said that there will be significant discipline if you get into any sort of fight on the field. like They, they are apparently, t- certain things, they're taking very seriously. Other things I look at and I laugh at. I gotta yeah. be honest with you guys. I love the no showering. Like, we, we walk these halls every day. It's, it's ridiculous. We walk these halls every day, and there are times when you can't be six feet apart from somebody else. There, and it's gonna be the yeah. same thing for baseball. There are gonna be times when a man is at first, and the first baseman has to be on the bag in case there's a throw coming over to first. Mm-hmm. He has to be there so why is that different than if they say that if the ball's out of play you need to be six feet apart from each
3: other come on right well, that's that why be- i say the guidelines because otherwise it doesn't make sense because the the, the situation is going to present themselves all over the place in every sport to where unfortunately you're going to be forced to break the rules as they put them yeah, in. you got
4: to think there's going to be a player that's going to just not care. Like, there's going to be a player on well, first base that? that's going to okay. talk. That's Thank a whole God other Yossi animal. Al-Kui's not signed yet. <laughs> oh,
3: wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you Listen. don't
4: think Tommy Fame's going to want to have a conversation with somebody and not care what the rules are? Okay, He's but- going to get in a fight with somebody.
3: Listen, I'm going to power through this here, okay? <laughs> you guys bring up a good point. I'm actually trying to give you guys some credit for a change. But what about the player who has a different philosophy on what's going on in yeah. the world today? Yep. Okay, because we all know we all have TVs and Internet that there are people on St. Charles this week, people on one side, people on the other side. There's people that ride the line right in the middle. But guess what? That's just general population. You don't it's not any different when you get into a pro locker room or these. You're going to have guys who have different opinions, different views, different ideas or takes on what's actually going on. Now, what do you do now? What do you do? Because now you have what the First Amendment. Or the Constitution. Whatever. Yeah. you can Do whatever the heck you want. I hear that thing's important. Uh, I, the, the, I, you laugh, but you don't think there's some players that are willing to 100% die on that hill? agree. 100% agree. That's what I was saying. Like, yes,
2: absolutely. And what do you think these guys are going to be doing when they're on the road and they're in these hotels where they are allegedly not going to be allowed to go anywhere else? They're going to be hanging out together because they're teammates and they're brothers and they like each other's company. And they're going to be playing Xbox and they're going to be playing on their whatever the latest video games are. I know I sound like an old man right now. That's perfectly fine.
3: They're I wasn't going of playing video games. I mean, we're worried about the guys having a couple of cold ones. Right, going to the conference making room Making bad on the decisions, road. having yeah. a couple of cold sure. ones. Sure,
2: I mean, like, together in the same room, right? So what's the difference between them being in the same room together in the hotel versus being in the same dugout whenever they're at work? I agree. Like, at a certain point, we've got to be smart and be have a little bit of common sense about all this stuff. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Raves and BK on 101 ESPN. <sighs> Am I really supposed to believe this pizza story? Am I really supposed uh, to believe we go. We go. this pizza
3: story? Here we go. Here we go.
0: We'll dive into it next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
3: No room service. Michael gets hungry. So all right, so we're calling all these different places. George and I are looking around. We find one pizza place open. One. So he ordered a pizza. When the pizza came, there was four or five guys outside the door. Five guys delivering one pizza. It's very rare that you get five delivery guys from, you know, the pizza place to bring you your pizza. And they're all trying to look in and, you know, everybody knew as much. So I take the pizza, I pay, I pay them, and I, I put
0: this pizza down. And I, I said, I got a bad feeling about this. I eat the pizza all by myself. Nobody else eats it. Eat the pizza. I wake up about 2.30, throwing up left and right. So it really wasn't the flu game. It was, it was food poisoning. Alongside
2: former Blues defenseman <laughs> Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. I've got some follow-up questions on this one, boys, I because figured. I
4: heard this <laughs> I story figured. last
2: night and I've had some questions about the flu game in general over the years, but this
4: made it even worse for me. When that happened last night In the last dance, I knew BK was going to have uh, plenty of follow-ups oh yeah. to this on the show. You, you better, better I've got a couple of all them right, here for go. you guys. Let's
2: do let's it. This out. So let's start with this. Um, Michael Jordan says that he ate his entire pizza mm. that night, right? Heck yeah. First of all, most relatable thing he's ever said. <laughs> the most relatable thing he's ever said about anything is, I got a pizza at 1030 at night and ate the whole thing by myself. I can relate to that one. The director of The Last Dance was on ESPN yesterday with Jalen Rose. And Jalen Rose asked him about this story. And here's what he had to say about that
3: story. When the pizza shows up, Michael says, do not touch this pizza. This is
0: mine. You didn't wait for me. Don't touch this. So he spits on the pizza. What? 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 I'm telling you what was told to me in our <laughs> interviews. So that is why I think it is true that Michael ate an entire pizza himself. Was that pizza spiked?
2: I don't believe that. Oh, Oh, I do believe that nobody else ate that pizza. (laughs) Even the director says, I've got questions as to how this happened. So I think the pizza thing might have happened. I think he might have actually eaten the pizza. I do not believe that he was poisoned by the pizza. That being said, I've got some questions about the delivery of said pizza, right? So they said in the documentary, there's five guys that deliver this pizza for Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. Jamie, you've been a player. You've been to these team hotels when you go to a team hotel, my experience is, and especially a player the ilk of Michael Jordan, you use an alias. You're not saying, hey... Yeah, I used I to th- have that problem all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'd like a pizza delivered to room 314 over at the Ritz-Carlton for Michael Jordan. No, that's not really how it goes. It tends to end up being
4: Steve Smith that is getting the pizza in room 312. Rives' alias was Jamie Rivers. Yeah, Did I just you ever have like,
3: one? No, I never had an alias. <laughs> but Wayne Gretzky did. That was always Do you funny. remember what an yeah, alias yeah, yeah, was? Yeah, it was Wayne Douglas. It was his middle he name. He with his real name? He Wayne did. Douglas. Wayne Douglas. Well, and uh, I remember when we discovered that on the rooming list, then I started ordering food to <laughs> Wayne Douglas's room. <laughs> Took him about three road trips before I figured out somebody was charging up things on his room, and I came clean. He had a good laugh. And That's why I, he left St. Louis. Way did. to go, around. No, it didn't hurt his pocketbook. Trust me.
2: This is why I have a question about the pizza thing and the idea that it was spiked and that he was ultimately poisoned by the people, the great people. It
3: happened. There was a second pizza delivery guy on the grassy knoll too. (laughs) You
4: don't send five people with a pizza if you didn't poison it. You have to make sure that he takes that pizza. Okay, to BK's point,
3: though, you probably don't send the five people. To BK's point, if you're staying at the Ritz Carlton or a hotel of that status, I can tell you from past experience, they don't let delivery guys pass the lobby. No, you have to have somebody come down and greet them, or they will do the purchase for you and then their concierge, especially if you're Michael Jordan, concierge will personally deliver that pizza to your room. So the fact that five guys showed up with a pizza and that the Ritz Carlton or something of that nature, let them all just come on in and go up to Michael Jordan's room. That's a problem. Second of all, how would they know they're delivering it to Michael Jordan's room? They okay? wouldn't. Never mind, even if you use an alias, you don't have to like the trainer in what is his name? Tony? The yeah. guy? He he could have said, Yeah, it's for Tony, what's his face? In room, whatever. And they'd be like, okay, whatever, right? Yeah. They, so that part of the story is blurry at best. Um All of this is urban legend. I do it's believe. All urban I do believe that maybe he did get food poisoning. I do believe it's possible. Did they do it on purpose? That, I think, is highly unlikely. Um, was there a big, you know, a big uh, plot here to get Michael Jordan? Hey, probably. I mean, heck, I've been in hotels where fans have come in and pulled the fire alarm in the middle of the night to make sure everybody gets up and has to leave the ho- and just disrupt your sleep and mess up your game and all that stuff. So the thought of would they like to do something? Yeah, I think that's probably natural. And I do think maybe he did eat something in that pizza. We didn't. Here Here's what I didn't understand. Why would they not tell you what he ordered on the pizza? And that raises two questions for me. One, either he had a pepperoni pizza and there was like no risk at all. Or he had something maybe that was on there and he didn't want to disclose what it was. Or he had been drinking a lot.
2: Or what he... do you typically do whenever you get you get a little tipsy and it's about 10:30 and there's nothing open at the end of the night. You're like, "Hey, you know, I'm going to call the pizza joint," right? That's typically your first call. I've been there and I've certainly been like Michael Jordan, where you end up. Yeah, I don't spit on the pizza because that's something that only a, a crazy person would do, but I, yeah. you know,
3: or a drunk
4: person. Unless you really don't want somebody touching your pizza. Yeah. I mean, clearly, I've, been I've been there not,
3: before, you know. I mean, I've seen dogs spit on a pizza before. I've licked
4: things before to oh make sure boy. nobody eats them. Oh, it. Brad Marchand in the yeah, house, folks. Might as well, right? Wow. You, no. You're telling me you haven't gotten something before that you're like, man, this is all mine, and somebody's eyeing it up, and you're like, no, I'm going to make sure nobody touches this. Never those. No, I've just so told good. them
3: literally, I'll kill you if you touch this. I, 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 I don't, don't have <laughs> that effect on people, Jamie.
4: See, <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that either because nobody's intimidated,
2: so it doesn't <laughs> really work for me. But no, I've never gone over and been like a child and licked something oh, yeah. like uh, the back of a piece of bread or whatever. Oh, yeah. That's actually – Like a Girl automotive. Scout
4: cookies? If you get Girl Scout cookies and your significant other's like, hey, can I have some of those? No, sorry. You're I refuse sure? to wow. believe that this is specifically how it went down. I, I think, think there's this a is a like twist a game and of turn. telephone. I think that there yeah. yeah. I there's- told both of you my conspiracy theory last night. Scott Burrell Poisoned that pizza? <laughs> no way. And he wanted to make no sure way. that those he was going to be the rings. star of that game. Nah, those guys wanted rings. Burrell they didn't care. Was done with Jordan's ish, and he said, "I'm going to make sure that Jordan's not available for this game." I have so much respect for Scott Burrell <laughs> after watching <laughs> that
2: documentary. You know what
3: the funny thing is about that whole thing is they actually became really good friends, I know. And, and to this day, Burrell is one of the few guys that he has contact with on a regular basis. It's why I
2: respect Scott Burrell
3: so much. Yeah. He never broke. He never broke, even when he was in a private
2: Moment, Michael Jordan. You remember the scene last night where Michael Jordan's in with his bodyguards and Ahmad Rashad, and that's basically it. And Ahmad Rashad tells him, You either do it or you don't, or whatever the You can't or you can't. And Michael says to him, Don't you dare go by Scott Burrell. You'll scare the bleep out of (laughs) him. (laughs) It's <laughs> nowhere to be seen, and he's still he's still crapping him on, on sometimes him in that situation. I will say this
3: from past experience too. Sometimes you have these love hate relationships in the team setting where you really do love each other, and, and that the hate or the 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 ribbing each other and the giving it back and forth that's part of the love, right? Like there's guys that Brett Hull. Let's just use him for familiarity here in St. Louis. There's guys that he absolutely gave it to on a regular basis, like Jordan to Burrell. And Holly loved them. and But from the outsiders looking in, they'd be like, oh, my God, Brett Hall hates this guy. Like, I don't even know how this guy comes to work every day because Holly's all over him. But Holly loved him. And then behind closed doors, on the road, you know, inviting these guys out for dinner. So we're finding out now that Burrell and Jordan maybe were closer than we all thought or maybe that it was edited. He's also said that, too, yeah. that a lot of this has come down to editing. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it is what it is. You know, guys, your high school buddies, your college buddies, whatever it is. My coworker. Coworker. You always got somebody who's <laughs> giving it to you all the time. With Just former Blues defenseman talk, bro. Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon <laughs>
0: Kiley.
2: It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. I wonder who fought for their name to get first on this show. Coming up next, it's time for the junk drawer. We'll do it next on 101 ESPN. We're
0: back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. ESPN.
2: With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, who is now jumping around in the studio. Let's go! I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's time for the junk drawer. Jamie, let's get us started.
3: All right, so businesses are opening up. Restaurants are trying to figure out how to do things. The bars we talked about in one of the breaks, uh, just how that's going to be difficult. People's inhibitions are lowered and they're making bad decisions. Well, there's a place in Maryland, guys, that seem to have it figured out. And uh, what they're doing here is it's, the place is called Fishtails in Ocean City, Maryland. And they're letting people, they have these inner tubes where people walk in and they stand inside of the inner tube, which is three feet around them. So obviously when you have two inner tubes close to each other, that's a six feet diameter. And they have these on wheels. And now they're walking around the bar, which is a seafood bar as well and they're drinking and they have these built-in little tables in the inner tubes so this thing not only is it doubling as a social distancing tool but it's doubling as your own personal little table that you can walk around with and actually be in a bar it's like a tv
2: tray in front of you that's portable yeah exactly with you at all times
3: And, and it's like one of those like big sumo suits that you have right but it's just like the inner tube so they're walking around and People are look like they're enjoying a couple of good cocktails and they're respectfully six feet apart. Guys, I take it to you. Are you ready for that yet? Are you ready to jump in an inner tube and go have a few beers? So
2: there's a new trend that has been happening with bars in recent years where you've got more of these games, right? You've got a lot of places now that are adding in, like right down the uh, street, Westport Social. You've got the Papa Shot. You've got a bocce ball. You've got all mm-hmm. different kinds of activities that you can do while you're at the bar, right? That's become kind of a new trend recently for these bars. I think this could be a new one. I think we can actually get something out of this. <laughs> you go there, and it's like bumper cars, yeah, but with your inner tube where you, like, bump into somebody, and you
3: can make a drinking game out of it. I think there's something here, Jamie. Here's where I go with it, okay? I think right away, big picture. Who are the big dogs that are out there that could make this work? Vegas. Oh, okay, yeah, sure, hear me man. out, right? Vegas. You've got all of these pools outside the Encore Beach Club, all this stuff. Hey, you come Went on to in. Some pools that I haven't
2: been to, Jamie. All right, <laughs> so,
3: uh, anyways, yeah, they're real boring, honey, if you're <laughs> listening. No, but, anyways, you get hit into the the Beach Club or whatever, and you got your inner tube. Well, guess what? It's amphibious, boys. You go walking around, you got your social distancing, you've got your TV tray. Hey, you walk down into the pool, and we're floating, and we're drinking, and we're partying, and we're six feet apart. You walk out, all of a sudden, you back to your just your inner tube on the wheels. I see a future for this.
2: Yikes. How, how about hockey? If we get this on the ice,
3: that'd be fun. Well, they've had some of those, uh, you know, those people that run around in the bubbles. You know, the, 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 I don't know what. That where they bump into each other, the, the intermissions? They're, like, in the huge oh, yeah. bubble, oh, and they awesome just charge at yeah, each yeah. other. Now, those are I, fantastic. I haven't seen hockey played like that, but I have seen people play soccer. Like that, to where they're trying to play and you can just truck people over. Oh, yeah. That'd be kind of fun. I think there are some opportunities here. I think there is some opportunities. Yeah, I'm a buyer. Why not
4: put fans in the bubbles, then too, and they could hit each other in the stands? Oh, and... no,
3: let's put fans on the ice with the players.
4: Oh, yeah. Now this... we've got it. Well, we BK's have got a light bulb. We have fixed social distancing
2: in the stands. Right. There we go. That's what I'm saying. Football games in the fall everybody gets an inner tube. Everybody's in a bubble. Now, trying to fit those through some of the tunnels might be a bit of an issue. (laughs) Maybe you have them already placed, though, right? Whenever they get to their seats. And they have to jump down into them. Now the difficult part is when you got to go to the restroom, or you're trying to get okay. your second
4: beer. Ah. It's like a little pocket in the bubble for you, so maybe you, you go to Maybe bathroom, you got a pail attached right? on the bottom
3: side. Yeah, or you get man, one of those filters. Might get a little messy. No, you get one of those filtering <laughs>
4: systems. You get a hose,
3: and it goes out the. Yeah. So the what, if gotta, here. what if you got something here? you got to go to the back door though for the hose? Bigger hose. Now that gets messy. Bigger hose. Yeah. But I, I, I don't care, guys. I'm a buyer. Stop, stop saying hose, guys.
4: Sorry.
2: With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's ribs and BK. It's The drunk drawer. All right, Jamie. So, just a strange situation right now with people that are single and trying to date one another. We have specific needs as human beings, and the Dutch government is here to help. Always. The Dutch government has issued a new guidance for single people seeking intimacy during this pandemic, advising them to, quote, find a new sex buddy. Oh, wait, what? Wait. I said that correctly. The Dutch government has issued new guidance to single people within their community seeking intimacy during the pandemic, advising them to, quote,
3: find a sex buddy. Well played. Um, So I have nothing more. That is the story. (laughs) So I'm trying to figure this out. So if we're trying to keep people safe, wouldn't that go against the actual quote of find a sex buddy? Like, or are they trying to say that somebody you know really well that's been in quarantine that you know isn't sick, now that becomes your sex buddy?
2: I think they're saying you guys become quarantine buddies together now. Okay.
3: So, but, not, so but even if you don't really like this person, you're just looking for a person, partner? man, it's No Strings Attached. Yeah. Have you, haven't you ever seen that movie? No, I actually haven't. Ashton Kutcher,
4: Natalie Portman. Is it Matt Natalie Portman? Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. Because okay. Timberlake and Mila Kunis were the just friends one. That's the one. But I was thinking of Mila Kunis. Okay. Yeah. But still. I'm movie, just be
3: first of all. I, yeah, it, great movie. Seems to be. I guess if
4: you <laughs> guys like it. It must be good, We're right? glossing over the headline here, though. Why are we trusting the Dutch with this? Well, I don't know. I guess the Aren't Dutch. is
3: most trustworthy in terms of finding sex partners? I don't know. I'd like to know their numbers uh, on, one, what's going on right now over there, the pandemic. I'm sure that. Uh, if they're suggesting that you grab a partner and go round and round, I would imagine their numbers are probably... Uh, a little ju- better than ours. <laughs> 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 okay. I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, I don't, that's that's a strange statement from a government. That's what I think. I think that's pretty strange coming from, like, the top down. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't disagree with it, but I'm just like, is this a strange message?
2: Mental health is very important. Uh-huh. And there are certain things that people need in order to get in the right state of mind. And if this is the way that you need it to happen do what you gotta do.
3: That's how I feel. Dutch government, God bless you. Guess it's better than the Dutch oven. That one never seems to work the right way. It's 100% correct. <laughs> it never works out for anybody. <laughs> You're ready to go next, Jamie. 100 <laughs> yeah. correct. I speak, actually, I've got one that's uh, relatable here. So okay. next up in the in the uh, junk drawer. So Did I say drunk? Drawer you said or drunk. Or drunk? Drawer. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's right. All right. We, we just let you go. We let you go. They're like, oh, "He's yeah. hot right now." Just let him go. It, so it fit the theme. If we nothing else. saw in this documentary, Last Dance, that uh, Dennis Rodman had left to go to Vegas. Then he went and wrestled in the middle of the finals. So, does it surprise you at all that Dennis Rodman has spent a crazy, wild night with Kim Jong-un of North Korea? Not at no. all. Okay, well, yeah, me neither, all right? And they talk about, in this article, about how they spent, uh, there was including vodka, hotties, and an all-female band, and it's Dennis Rodman out for karaoke. <laughs> Imagine that, right? Karaoke with I'd like to see that. Kim Jong-un. And then hot boxing with Kim Jong Un, which if you're not familiar with that, I had to Google it. Don't Google it. Hell, it work. is. Is uh, you know basically you smoke up a medicinal cannabis and uh, in a very small room, and you both stay in there. And they, yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> this is what's going on with Dennis Rodman. James and certainly
2: has no experience. No
3: experience. And uh, yeah, also Dennis goes on to say there was an 18-piece women's band. Uh, that were scantily clothed and were uh, the only people there were Dennis Rodman and Kim Jong-un. So it sounds like this guy's a bit of a party animal and I'm not talking about Rodman. Are you surprised? No. No. Look at him. Am Uh, I supposed to be surprised by this, Jim? I am a little bit. When you look at the guy, look at his haircut. Yeah, that does show he's a little bit. Yeah, okay, you're right. (laughs) We
2: also don't know if he's alive right now.
3: That's a good point. Dead or alive? We're not sure. There's lots of people who spent a night out with Rodman that we don't know if they're dead (laughs) or alive. (laughs) That's also true. Okay. Uh, That I can tell you from experience. Um, But, yeah, this is, uh, I found it to be shocking. Not that they were hanging out or that they knew each other because Dennis was brought in as like some kind of an ambassador liaison at one point, or at least that's what he declared himself as. But then to find out they're out doing karaoke, they're smoking weed together, they're drinking, they got girls together, that was a little shocking to me.
2: I think that's just Dennis Rodman. I, I, I well, don't yeah, think no. it matters. Yeah, that's Dennis Rodman. What, what I'm saying <laughs> is I don't think it matters who
3: the accomplice is with
2: Dennis Rodman. I think this is just what the night's going to look like. You, you could get the Pope. The Pope goes out with Dennis Rodman for a night. Suddenly whoa, you've got some debauchery whoa, going on. You just threw the
3: Pope I'm in out. with Dennis
4: I'm Rodman. Yeah, I'm, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. No, ball. I'm out. I'm not walking near you outside.
2: Wow. Uh, That lightning bolt's coming down, buddy. (laughs) A lot of things are changing right now during the pandemic, including robberies. Oh. I'm okay with that. Regular masks will not do right now. So, Jamie, I'd like you to check this out. We'll tweet this out from uh, our Twitter accounts as well.
3: (laughs) I saw that, and I didn't know what the heck
2: it was either. Go ahead. A man in Louisiana decided to rob a gas station, but instead of wearing your typical mask, he decided to wear a watermelon over his head. (laughs) Now, it may surprise you, Jamie, that this man and his friend, both of whom were wearing the old watermelon over their heads, were caught by the moments later after they (laughs) left the gas station. If you're the type of person that's going to wear a watermelon that has been um, hollowed out and then you caught basically like a jack-o'-lantern lantern, two spots
4: for your eyes and a spot for your mouth,
2: I think you're probably going to get caught within the next five minutes. There's
4: no airflow. So, like, your head's just going to be backwards while you're running, while your body's going.
3: Yeah, here's you're gonna my... Get caught. Ultimately, here's my thoughts on it is you probably should take up another profession that being a thief is probably not in your best interest, Just
2: call Thief Smith. Get some uh, get some pointers. Yeah,
3: I mean, you don't have to wear a watermelon hat in order to steal something. Thief Smith clearly stealing our idea for Disney and NBA basketball. He, look at he didn't even wear he he openly was out there on the internet with his first first Yahoo piece based on your idea. But yeah, uh, I don't know what's going on with the watermelon heads. Uh, it seems to me like uh, yeah, they, they, they should take up something different. There's a lot in this world that I don't understand right now. <laughs> yeah.
2: With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rives and BK on 101 ESPN. Coming up next... Earlier today, we talked with Buster Olney. He had a quote about Francisco Lindor that I want to revisit. We'll get into that next on 101
0: ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. But there's no question that there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be
5: hammered by this. And for teams that have some payroll flexibility, I think the San Francisco Giants are in that realm. Uh, you know, we'll see about the Cardinals. No question that the, uh, names will be moved because of what we're seeing now. That's always happened in baseball history. We saw it with the 94 Expos having to dump guys like Larry Walker uh, back in the 30s, guys like Lefty Grove, Hall of Famers, because of what was happening nationally uh, with the economy.
2: He's Jamie Rivers, former Blues defenseman. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Buster Olney who joined us earlier today on the show talking about What kind of ramifications could come because of what we're looking at right now with this pandemic situation, Jamie? And I want to play for you another cut from him because he got to the player that we've been talking about over the last week or so. Of course, that would be Francisco Lindor. Here's Buster Olney on that.
5: Among general managers, they wonder, for example, what's going to happen with the Cleveland Indians and Francisco Lindor. That this is, you know, an expensive player who's got some trade value. The Indians are a small market team. You know, they don't have the revenues of the Yankees and the Dodgers. So once they get the opportunity to move them, will they basically just look to dump the dump him uh, and his salary to reduce the losses that they're going to take for this year? I think that's an equation that's going to have a real factor on the moves you're going to see once baseball gets restarted.
2: I'm going to be fascinated to see how the Cardinals approach this. Because on one hand, they're one of the teams that's going to get hit the hardest with the lack of revenue that they get compared to what they would have expected otherwise. The Cardinals have 40,000 people in the stands for each and every night that they have a home game. That's a lot of money that they're going to be losing out on from this season with the fans probably not going to be allowed back this season. On the other hand... They're probably going to be able to be back, whether it be next year or certainly by the by the following season. That revenue's coming. It's just not going to be there for this season. So do the Cardinals approach this, that we're going to stand pat, we're not going to add any revenue next offseason, we're not going to continue spending, or do they say, you know what, we can use this as an opportunity. We don't have many long-term contracts currently on the books. We don't have very many guys right now signed for the next five, six, seven years. Maybe we can go use this as, say, the Indians can't re-sign uh, Francisco Lindor right now. They need to get rid of him. Normally, it would take a lot. To get a guy like that instead in this situation we can just pay his 20 million dollar contracts this year we can pay the 20 million dollar contract next year and then we can kind of take the temperature in the room and decide is this something that we want to sign up for over the long term and maybe then it's going to be 250 million dollars instead of 400 million dollars so you're getting a massive discount moving forward jamie i know we've talked about this a few times but hearing that from buster Olney gave it even a little bit more credence to me
3: Yeah, I think ultimately there's going to be a few things that develop here. One, do we get baseball back? When we do, what does it look like? And how much are the owners affected by what's going on? What do the players agree to as far as the revenue sharing? So there's lots of things to digest in that. But following that, will will the Cardinals be the only team with that strategy, right? So I'm wondering here... If, yes, the Cardinals would be an amazing play for them to try and swoop in and, for lack of better words, steal Lindor from the Indians and try to resign him at a whopping discount based upon the economic situation of Major League Baseball and the country as a whole, for that right. matter, or the, the whole world. But now, are we going to end up to where some of the star players still are going to take huge amounts of the payroll? And what I mean by that is, if you go and take on a Francisco Lindor or an Arenado or whatever the heck it is you're going to do, will you just cut the bottom out of your roster then? Will you get rid of a bunch of lower paid guys, a mid tier? Okay, I'm not talking league minimum because that's what they want actually on their roster. So if we take it to the Cardinals, pertaining to the Cardinals. You're thinking more like the Colton Wong making $10 million. Correct. That guy. Yes. How many of those guys do you eliminate in order to get your star player? And will you be willing to do that to get your star player knowing that revenues could be back to somewhere somewhat normal in the next couple of years? And then you have players that can come up, the younger guys or the lower paid guys that can fill those voids and then potentially be that player later on. It's an interesting strategy, and I just wonder, I don't see personally, I don't see the Cardinals following that model. I think they're way too cautious and well thought out to be doing that. But that doesn't mean that Team X, Y, and Z aren't afraid to just go, hey, forget it. We don't care. We're going rogue here, and we're going to get rid of these guys, and we're bringing on this this salary because we don't care. I'm just wondering what direction they go.
2: I think the Cardinals will. If I had to say what they will do versus what I hope that they do, I think what they will do is play this cautious. I think they're going to be the team that kind of stands, Pat, especially for the next year. I don't think you're going to see them dip into the free agency period very much this offseason at all. I think they're going to, they've got one more year left on the deal with Matt Carpenter. I think they're just going to go ahead and go into this and say, we'll let that expire and we'll see where we're at after this season. They've got one more year on the deal with Dexter Fowler. Same thing for him. I think you're going to see them say, let's ride this out for one more year. See how this team does. Hopefully we can build something that's better. We liked the team coming into this year. We'll probably like it conceivably as much next year. And move on that way. What I would like to see them do, though, is I think there's a real opportunity here. I know I've said this a few times now, but Francisco Lindor is a potential generational player. You're getting him in his prime right now. And you're likely going to get him, certainly via trade, at a reduced cost from what he should be in any other situation. And then pr- moving forward, you will likely be able to get him re-signed at a reduced rate as well. You we, think? Heard, we heard from Buster, he said that he thinks Mookie Betts might be lucky Take to get $300 get. million. Okay, I
3: understand that, but where I'm thinking too is these star players, at some point, they're going to have to gamble on themselves, right? And so maybe. Lindor goes, you know what? Yeah, okay, I got traded. I'll sign a one year deal.
2: That's still a reduced rate from what you would typically get. So, yeah. So he'll take
3: it, you know, he'll take a loss for a year. But then, if baseball starts to creep back to the revenues and the market starts to set itself higher where it should be, it might be in that player's best interest to say, yeah, I'm going to take a one year deal. Who's got the biggest offer for me for one year? I'm going to take a loss, but somebody, guess what? Somebody's going to come close enough to make it appealing. And then after that, you open it up.
2: That's what Josh Donaldson did, right, yep. with, the, with the Braves last year. And it, it worked out for him. He ultimately got the deal that he was looking for, but he took a one-year, the bridge deal that you always talk about in the NHL, basically. And he was able to bridge that gap, and he got the big money. So if you're Francisco Lindor, maybe that's what you do. You say, let's see what the economic situation is a year from now. Maybe teams are in a better financial spot to be able to give me that seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year deal that I'm looking for. But for the right now, if I'm the Cardinals... They're the team that doesn't want to give that seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year deal contract out. So if you're them and he says, I want to sign a one- or two-year deal and you've got him on the front end for these next year and a half, that's a great situation. Now you've got his entire prime at a discounted rate compared to what you would have had to give him otherwise, and you didn't have to give up much for him in the trade because you took on the contract. I think that there is a potential deal there for them. I don't think they will do it, but I wish that they would.
4: I'll say this. I think what's going in the Cardinals' favor of having the opportunity to to get... Francisco Lindor is the fact that the Indians aren't going to want to trade him into the American League even if they're dumping him they're not going to want to trade and I think there's more teams that can financially handle a contract for Lindor in the American League than in the National League because you're talking Dodgers who are already capped themselves you're talking Cardinals and you're talking the Giants
3: it's just a. It's a, a tough. I just worry that the Cardinals' track record of handling these situations. That's an issue. Okay, I guess I shouldn't say worry because you know they're a, a good team, financially secure team, good revenues. Now that's you know based upon a model that has fans and you know forty thousand people every game. But to me, their strategy has never been the huge splash, grab a free agent, and just be like, "Bam, here's our guy." Right. So I worry that that thought process i guess i shouldn't worry maybe that maybe we are sitting here wanting this to happen but the cardinals all along sitting back right now going guys uh, i love what you're saying hey bk ribs you're doing a great job alex i appreciate you too but yeah we're not really going to be jumping in this
4: that's mo yeah that's mo's mindset this would be the
2: matt holiday trade is what i'm kind of talking about that that would be what this is this would be the okay we like our team a lot you're telling us we've got an opportunity to make a real splash here with a player that we think is a superstar that could potentially be had for under market value. Mm-hmm. And we can re-sign that dude for even if it is we end up with him for four years under contract in his prime. That's what they did with Matt Holliday, and it worked out to perfection. Now the end of that deal didn't go maybe the way that we all hoped that it would, but Matt Holliday was a fantastic Those player deals here. It was exactly by the
3: end, don't go the way you want him, to. It was
2: exactly what they hoped and needed from him. He was a great player here. So that's what I would think that this would be. They've made these kinds of deals before. It's worked out for them. They've made the deal where a lo- smaller market team can't resign a guy. They bring him here, they have a year with him in the system, and then ultimately they re-sign. It's failed, Jason Hayward, didn't work out there, but it has also succeeded more times than not. So I'd like to see him try to do it again here.
3: Yeah, I think, look, I would love for them to try and do it. And to your point, adding Lindor to your lineup, and we've talked about this at length before where you slide to Young over, you've got possibly the DH that comes into play and all this, it could be something that is extremely valuable for the St. Louis Cardinals moving forward for five, six, seven years. Whatever they determine is is the magic term on this thing. And it could impact the, this franchise for, you know, I would say a good five or six years of being in that window of being able to win. With Jamie
2: Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Hubbard Radio's deserving delivery saying thank you to those helping care for our community. Today's very deserving delivery is going to the great folks working at St. Luke's Hospital in chesterfield their awesome staff will be enjoying 100 meals today delivered by surf in sirloin those meals courtesy of hubbard st louis and our good friends at two men and a truck thank you to two men and a truck and a continued thank you to all those great folks working in our medical community and on the front lines from our station and the entire hubbard st louis radio family 65780 air comfort service text line for questions and answers we'll get to some of yours next on 101 espn
0: Back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN 65780. It is the Air Comfort Service Text line for questions and answers. Get your questions in now. We will answer as many as we can. We gotta start with that liner though. At, at what point do you think they decide, you know what, they've listened long enough. I think they like them now.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Like, at first, I was like, it's kind of like that old story, like, when I was young, be like, hey, you know, ordering drinks for people, especially the ladies, be like, the more you drink, the better I look, <laughs> right? So, it's always a positive, and the lower the lights are, and, you know, all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, the more you listen, the more you like them. All right. I don't know. I guess we'll put that to the text line, if that's true or not. I mean, I don't know. The more I listen to you, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> Are you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Huh. Feel the same
2: way. Good. It is reciprocated good, right over here, good, Jenny Rivers. Good, I love both good. of you, so you guys are
4: fun. Guys yeah, are I phenomenal. think Ferrari is fantastic. Yeah, you guys right, are phenomenal. Ferrari's my
2: man. Honestly, we couldn't have a better third voice with us. I-, I think we really hit the jackpot here. My second voice could use some work.
3: Second voice, yeah. My
2: friend. <laughs> Thank you both. Your 20 bucks are on the way. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text Lab for questions and answers. This one comes from the 573 Ribs. When are we going to hear more about your family circus power rankings again?
3: Oh, boy, yeah. It's been a while since we've had a River Circus power rankings update. Um, They've been all over the map lately with uh, things happening. The boys, uh, my boys have a job now. They're outside digging uh, underground sprinkler systems with our neighbor, so you know they're having less interaction with McKinnon, who's the uh, pioneer and uh, CEO of the River's power rankings, so Um, Tell you what, we're going to get back to business. We're going to have a couple of family dinners. We'll have a Rivers Power Ranking update mid to late week. And I'll fill you in. We'll get some good details. And and we'll, we'll be able to post it on our Twitter, too. And we'll do some stuff. If you had to guess where you would rank right now. Oh, right now it depends if if it's McKinnon who's ranking so you're it, above the puppy, yeah, oh my God, the puppy's a oh, he's a disaster. <laughs> I'm starting to seriously double think this puppy situation. He's a tank for one thing, he is built like a truck, oh,
2: I was assuming you know, given the situation, you were allowing him to have a couple of beers now at night
3: I, if it would calm him down, <laughs> just kidding, but I'm just saying he is um. Yeah, he's a real pain in the butt. He's a pain in the feet. He's a pain in the hands. He likes to bite things and play, and he doesn't leave our other dog alone. And at night, it's like party time for him. We've got Basically, we've got Rodman for a puppy, okay? He just wants to do his own thing, and we just have to kind of work around him. So
4: Got to get another one and get a Kim Jong-un puppy yeah, for Yeah, no,
3: no, 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 no. This one here, I tell you, this one here has me thinking already, but he is a sweetheart. I love him to death and couldn't imagine not having him. But, yeah, the puppy's all. Always at the bottom. I'm above the puppy. I would say that I find myself probably you know, consistently on the podium. So first, second, or third, especially when it's McKinnon picking. Now the other ones, eh, who's my wife today? Probably below the puppy, but you know,
2: who knows? Jamie, for me, you would definitely be at least third in this room. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line for questions and answers from the 217. Jamie, if you had to choose one of Arenado, Francisco Lindor, or Yadier Molina for the Cardinals oh, next no. year, and this. you could only have one. Who would you choose? He uh. says because of the money, of course. If you could only choose one, and you had to make a decision, who would you choose? Okay,
3: this is Arenado, like,
2: Lindor, Yadi.
3: This is like just trying. This is like suicide for a guy like me right now. Because if I don't pick Molina, everybody's going to torch me. He's the fan favorite. That's why BK asked it. Yeah, of course. That's why he directed it I'll to me. I'll give you hey, my answer hey, here in Jamie. a 2nd Jamie. No. I'll give my answer. Based upon what we've been talking about for a long time now, as much as I love the thought of Arnato at third base, I think Francisco Lindor is the guy for me out of this trio. If I'm sitting there at gunpoint and I have to make a decision about this, to me, I'm picking Lindor. I love Molina. There's no no doubt about that, what he brings to the team, brings to the clubhouse, all that stuff. But that being said, if you're building a team for the future, looking ahead, to me, Lindor's the pick.
2: Lindor's had at least 40 doubles and 30 home runs each of the last three seasons. He's had an on-base percentage above 330 each of those three seasons. For his career, he has a 120 OPS plus, which means that he's 20% above league average. He's a really good hitter. And, oh, by the way, he's a gold glover at shortstop. And this year, he's 26 years 26, that's the one. He's in the prime of his career. He's one of the better players in all of baseball. You're going to have him for at least this season and next my hope, my strong hope would be that he would re-sign for at least a year or two to potentially get through the pandemic situation and to continue to increase his value with a great organization where he knows he's going to be a winner. I would go Lindor, but it'd be really hard to move on from Yadi. That is not me putting down Yadi in any way, shape, or form. We're talking about a generational player that could potentially be on the Cardinals to play a premier position at shortstop.
3: That's why it's a tough question. And
2: you've already got a catcher waiting in the wings that could potentially take over for Yachty next year. Mm -hmm. If you're telling me my decision is you can either have Tommy Edman at third and Yachty at catcher, or I can have a catcher that's coming up in the wings – with Francisco Lindor at short and Paul DeYoung at third, I'm going to take Francisco Lindor at shortstop. I know it's tough, but that's what I would go with.
4: Yachty's a tough one. My only concern with Yadi would be you're burning the bridge of potentially having him a party organization after retirement, but I think that bond is strong. I, I would actually go Arenado. I-, I just think Arenado is is a St. Louis Cardinal player. Mm -hmm. And I understand the Lindor scenario of it's a little bit cheaper possibly, but you're still playing the what if game with Francisco. If boy, what if you lose him after that one year and then you're back to square one and you lose Yachty? If you're going Yachty or one of these guys, Arenata, you know you have there for you. With Jamie Rivers and Alex
2: Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Hockey has not arrived yet, but they're talking about a 24 team playoff. Last year, it was a 16-team playoff, and there was only one team that came up on top. That was the St. Louis Blues. 101 ESPN presents Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues Run to the Cup. Each and every Thursday and Friday night, you will hear a replay of two classic games from the Blues' 2019 Run to the Cup. Relive each game with added insight and behind-the-scenes commentary from Chris Kerber, Joey Vitale, and our own Alex Ferrario. This Friday, this Thursday night, it's Blues versus Sharks Game 5. Friday is Blues versus Sharks Game 6. Pre-game starts at 6. Play-by-play at 7. It is Play Gloria. The St. Louis Blues run to the cup, and it is brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. Coming up next, the Jordan versus LeBron debate wages on based on a ridiculous ESPN survey. And I kind of hope that Phil Jackson is getting his due after this documentary. We'll get into it all next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN
2: well certainly a lot of it you, you would agree with a better passer i mean just the results
5: on that alone yeah, make me want like- to throw the entire thing out better passer better teammate i mean
3: look you have to ask his teammates but i don't know of lebron punching any of his teammates in the eye and you know uh while certainly jordan does check off a lot of those boxes i don't know if this is a fair time to ask that question <laughs> lebron's probably sees this last night and going why are you dragging me
5: into this this under these circumstances
2: with Jamie Rivers, he's a former Blues defenseman. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So ESPN did something really smart yesterday to get us all going. They put out a poll, and they polled a bunch of people about who's better between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. But they didn't just ask who's the better player. They asked 17 different questions comparing the two. Very thorough. Including better look... Who would you rather have a drink with? Positive impact off of the court. More amazing was one of them, which I'm not even sure what that means exactly. A more spectacular to watch play. Uh, there were a lot of different things that are kind of like, come on, what are we doing here? And then you really needed 17 different things to tell you how great Michael Jordan was. Neither here nor there. Be thorough, BK. Don't Easy be negative. BK.
3: Of course, Michael
2: Jordan sweeps all 17 questions, including as you just heard there from Brian Windhorst on ESPN this morning. The better passer. Listen. Clearly,
3: you uh, ever watch mm-hmm. deals highlights? I did see Jordan's a lot like of, the Gretzky of basketball. I did see
4: a lot of behind-the-back-no-look passes by Jordan. The
3: palm ball, the fake-fake, yeah. here you go, whew, over the shoulder. I can't believe LeBron did as good as he did in this poll. I'm
4: there proud of him. There were 600 him. responses.
2: And somehow, someway, Michael Jordan was seen as the better passer by 60%. Of those people than LeBron James, who was arguably one of the greatest passers in the history of
3: basketball. Sounds legit. Listen, like I said, I'm proud of LeBron. I thought he did better than he should have, so that should be a victory for him. The
4: smallest deficit, I think, in LeBron and Jordan, all of them, was 13%. 43 to 57, which one do you trust
2: more to pass you the ball? And they trusted Michael Jordan to pass them the ball more often
3: than LeBron James. think about it. If Michael's passing me the ball... I know that he's trusting me. You know what I mean? I know that Michael trusts me. So I trust him at that point that he's giving me the ball in the best situation. So absolutely. Look at his passes. Paxson nails the yeah. three-pointer.
4: Kerr knocks down the two-pointer. Pippen always there. Rodman there when he needs them. Yeah. It's all there. seven passes that Jordan yeah. had were great. And everyone those championships. <laughs> if you want to say that Michael Jordan's got
2: better
3: sneakers... That's I'm all in fact. favor, of yeah. it.
2: That 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 is objectively true. The better
3: fashion, better game-winning shot for sure. Better look with going with the bick straight on yeah, the head at than an early than that, age. That whatever that that fake turf that LeBron has gone. Uh, I'm here for it. Better passer is ridiculous.
2: <laughs> better passer is utterly absurd. And so when I saw this, I said to myself, Jamie, it's not even worth arguing. It's not worth it. But you gotta—you got, couldn't resist. It is a losing battle for me to come on here and tell you that LeBron James is a better passer. But I'll be damned if I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to set the record straight today. I know that I was six years old when Michael Jordan retired from his second three-peat. I know. But I can tell you without a doubt in my mind... LeBron James is a better passer than Michael Jordan. We can have the arguments on everything else. And earlier today, How I said, "How many games I you your question from Michael Jordan?" Uh, I think I saw about fifty-seven in this documentary.
4: Okay, as, but as, little clips, right? So, what's the assist comparison on the two? Yeah,
3: I don't understand. Like success, oh, not close. Assist. LeBron pass- James is one of the. I think he's like top ten all time in assists. Okay, assists. Yeah, that's fine. But this isn't that. This is better passer, which means that he more on the money, puts his player in a better position. It doesn't say assist. It LeBron's doesn't. best attribute might be his passing. No, you said he, his assists. He, Maybe he's no, not I a great passer. That's what he I said. I said. I was assist. answering his An question. assists is Jamie. the primary
4: one. Look, look. It still, the passing is there for Jordan. It's not there. It's hard to argue. It, it, it is easy you to argue. Have you
3: ever seen a full game? Yes, I've, I've seen many full games by full Michael game. Jordan. Yes. I, I, like I, bumper to bumper, full seen,
2: game. Yes, I've seen multiple uh, documentaries uh, on no, Michael at this point. I don't care and about yes, that. And yes, I have watched games on YouTube, oh, Jamie.
3: Yeah. I am from the
2: YouTube generation okay. where I can pull up a game. So
3: you've watched enough games, and I'm not being a jerk right now. You've watched enough games to, with beyond a shadow of a doubt, know exactly what you're talking about? I, I, when it comes I, to passing, yes. I don't listen. I haven't even watched enough LeBron James games to say that I could be the guy who decides this. So you can't tell me that you think that he's better than Jordan. When I can't even tell you and, that I think Jordan's better than LeBron at this at one aspect of their game. Uh, you're yes, guessing, I am very like, confident. You're going analytics based alone no, on this. Yeah, you are because you have no eye test for it.
4: I'd like, like to know. hear. I'd like to hear from two people on each side. On LeBron's side, I'd like to hear from Irving and Love. And I'd like to hear from Pippen and I'd like to hear from Robin. We Rogan. don't need no to hear from Kyrie.
2: <laughs> we <laughs> well, we he to
4: sh- Kyrie to the side.
2: <laughs> he doesn't need <laughs> to be included in any discussion about anything. Yes, that's true. Well, we, we don't, don't need to one. hear from him.
4: Love and Pippen. Let's hear from each one. Who is the better passer? That would be interesting. Let's hear from the shooters. Let's hear from Paxton
2: and Kerr. And let's hear from LeBron's side of things, Ray Allen. That'll work. Mike Miller. That's fine. Carl Smith, come on right now. Yeah, we'll get, get him online. on the call. Steve uh,
3: Kerr already said Michael's best thing he's ever seen, and, and best and passer the, he ever played with. And in the passing sense, you also have to
4: consider no, no, the. No, no, the no, hold on, he <laughs> never once said that. That didn't happen, Jamie.
3: Yeah, they edited it up. Were, were we watching uh, the same documentary? I saw the director's cut.
2: <laughs> <laughs> with Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. It's Rivers and VK on 101 ESPN. Listen, I, I understand. You want to talk about. Jordan being better than LeBron, I'll listen to it. I, I said earlier in the show today, oh, how nice of you! I think he, if you had one game, I would take Michael over LeBron. If you had to start a team, I would personally take LeBron. But one game, I would take Michael. I didn't want to give a little credit where credit is due. Earlier today, I was listening to Carriker and Smallman. Which you can hear weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. right here on 101 ESPN. Check out the podcast page on 101ESPN.com. Bob Ryan was on with them earlier today, and he was talking about Phil Jackson, who I think is kind of the forgotten man in this documentary. I want to give him his due. Here's what uh, Bob Ryan had to say about him earlier today.
5: Who else? Handled such a disparate bunch of personalities uh, in that time, starting with Michael. But how about Rodman? And no one else could have gotten what he got out of Rodman at that point in time. Where uh, that's this great mastery. X's and O's, sure, X's and O's are important, but it's what. what so when people chip away at Phil's accomplishments by saying, "Well, both in both cases, he had the best team," yeah, he did. But I know that I learned this in forty-four years of coverage, and now over fifty years of being around the NBA, it, it starts with talent, but it doesn't end there.
2: I think Phil Jackson deserves a lot more credit than he's been getting. Agreed. For what he was able to do with those teams. We learned a lot about the personalities on those Bulls teams through this documentary. We knew it then, but we saw it in glaring colors in this documentary. His ability to reach every player at a different level... You don't coach Michael Jordan the same way that you coach Scottie Pippen or Dennis Rodman. You don't coach Steve Kerr the same way that you coach even Paxson. All of these guys have very different personalities. They have different things that make them tick. Phil Jackson's ability to reach each and every one of those is what made that team work, Jamie.
3: He's a master, really, quite honestly. And we talked about a little bit earlier, just the way he handled things from a person-to-person standpoint. The only thing I can compare it to is two different situations that I lived. One was Joel Quenville here in St. Louis. Joel was great at reading the situation and managing the players very well. And and obviously, as he got later in his career uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks, his tenure there, there are a lot of great players, a lot of egos in that room, and Coach Q managed them really well. The best I've ever seen, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Scotty Bowman. Scotty Bowman could manage egos, and when he started as a young coach, he had the Montreal Canadiens, which were like the powerhouse, the Yankees of the NHL, who had every Hall of Famer, at the time was in that locker room and Scotty Bowman found a way to make sure that he knew what made each one of them tick. And he did the same thing in Detroit during those years where we hated the Red Wings here in St. Louis and when I ended up there and loved being a Red Wing, it was because Scotty Bowman knew how to control the guys. He knew how to get Steve Eiserman out of his comfort zone to be a better player. He knew how to take Chris Chelios, who was a bit of a Rodman, okay? Let's be honest, not as crazy, but liked to have his fun and he knew how to let him do that But then, bring the seriousness to practice every single day and challenge his teammates. Scotty Bowman, like Phil Jackson, is exactly what they needed. A puppet master, for lack of better words. And he was tailor-made for each and every guy. Every guy on that Bulls team felt like they had a personal connection with Phil Jackson. Therefore, they were willing to go to the end of the earth for him. And that by doing that, it brought them all together.
4: And look at the hills he overcame, too, with the Bulls. I mean, you say that the Bulls were a great team, but they had to overcome the Detroit Pistons, who were an even better team at the time, overcome the Boston Celtics with Bird, Magic Johnson with the Lakers, and then with what Phil did with the Lakers, the Pistons were still a dominant force, the Spurs were a dominant force. He found a way to be the better team of a... Group of players that were really tough to play with.
3: Let's not forget he had Shaq and Kobe then after, which was a whole other animal. Yeah. So he went from that, you know, nineties kind of guy and then the late nineties, Shaq and Kobe were jumping onto the scene. And they both had big egos. All right. Now you put them in the same room. And we know there was a certain amount of conflict between Shaq and Kobe. Phil Jackson managed to pull championships out of that team as well. Say what you want about it, you know being given the most talented team. Sometimes that's being given the biggest nightmare as well. And Phil Jackson had figured out how to take a nightmare and turn it into a sweet, sweet dream, BK. <laughs>
2: I think somebody on the text line said it perfectly. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Ribs, you're like a somehow lovable turd. He's Jamie Rivers. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over next.
0: We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN
2: with former blues defenseman and lovable turd jamie rivers i'm brandon kiley time to cross things over with
1: chris Ronge in the fast lane uh, Ronge what's up buddy hey that lovable turd is uh, it's good to see you buddy
3: it's good to see you Both too you, for actually. those who don't know uh during the quarantine Ronge was at home coming with the access unit i'm sure if you're listening every day you probably figured it out at one point <laughs> But it's good to see you, buddy.
1: Yeah, we were talking about my uh, dis- my setup in my living room, which isn't, you know, it isn't cool, like all the, you know, all the news anchors who are doing their stuff from in front of a bookcase. hmm I ain't got no bookcase, you know. <laughs> That's obvious. I saw the battery. But it was no, okay.
3: I didn't mind it. Yeah, I, I, I stacked
1: a bunch of pillows up behind me. That was kind of weird. For like a sound barrier. Yeah, but that, that was kind of weird. Yeah, but I'm you don't know lie. anything about uh, echoing, <laughs>
3: you know. <laughs> Oh, I know not to put pillows. You don't know
1: anything about Reverb. It was like... You're just a hockey guy.
3: Spider-Man and Superman pillows back there. And? Oh, just checking. Do you own books, Ronge? Yeah, I got a few books. Yeah, they're under At a table. balancing it. Yeah, I got coasters. a couple. Okay, so on that topic of, you know, Hollywood stars and celebrities doing these things with their houses and back and their props that they have behind them, do you guys ever watch Dr. Phil?
0: Or no. Even, even no. pass. okay, so this no. is gonna be all right, moving along. <laughs> Good conversation. So, yeah. Wow. Well, well go Dr. Ahead, Phil, go ahead, okay. Water, yeah.
3: Of all things, he's a pretty rich guy. Like we're talking like hundred millionaire, maybe wow. even close to the B word, billionaire. Like he's very close to that status. Thanks, Oprah. Yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah, he we'll buy you a beer for that one, Oprah. You'd think he'd have this beautiful office that he would come to people from during the pandemic or the quarantine rather and you'd have, like, awards being focused on in the background, maybe his degrees and all this stuff. No, Dr. Phil brought you him from the kitchen at Dr. Phil's house. Like, tiles behind and, like, fruit. And, and you're like, what what, what am I watching right now? It's Dr. Phil. And he's in the kitchen. Why? Why would he, of all people, not be in his office?
1: Maybe he doesn't... Uh have an office i don't
3: know exactly so how weird is that i'm pretty sure that i've seen a picture of his office and and talk to him in the kitchen well you
1: know (laughs) dr (laughs) phil isn't exactly normal that's a good point i don't even have an office so do you think he's... Uh, I didn't even know he was still doing
2: anything. Jamie, I'm going to show you this picture. I know this isn't good for the audience because we're not a visual medium. Yeah, uh, That's his dining room. So, yeah, oh, so is it with all
1: the, uh, the, the
3: guns? The AK-47s? Yeah, the AK-47s? Yeah, that's probably right. why he didn't yeah, yeah. come from the dining room then, right? Like I'm about. guessing that's why he didn't he's, have it yeah. he's in his He's got, his got enough home to fend off Russia on his own, that guy. Well, you know, you got to be ready. I never, never know Especially when that time comes. I never know. Bill. You got to be ready for Dr. Doctor Phil. Doctor Phil, I didn't even
1: know he was still a thing.
3: Well, he is, and w- my wife and I would laugh every day because she'd go to like watch a Doctor Phil, which I was like, okay, go ahead, I'm going to do work over here because I- I'm I'm Doctor phil out on at this point. Every day they would interrupt his show to bring an update from like Governor Mike Parson's. <laughs> so she's like, poor Doctor Phil. One, he's broadcasting from his kitchen, which looks kind of weird, and then secondly, about five minutes in every time. He gets interrupted yeah. for an update.
1: He's used to that three o'clock time slot. You know, all the people who are working from home like like he is, I guess. But his entire career, he's been on TV at three PM. It's kind of like shows in right now. Yeah, like huh? <laughs> this is different. People are driving when we're on. So I guess.
2: I wanted to talk to you about what my experience was over the weekend because Friday night
1: With I the Pacers lady? I know, we, we didn't have any communication. You didn't talk about the Pacers lady? Um, uh, the lovable turd has a theory about her.
3: <laughs> I think that she We can talk players. about that off
1: air.
2: Um, so, on, on Friday night, I went out to St. Charles. I was picking up some dinner for us, right? We are doing the takeout thing and whatnot. And St. Charles has opened up. They are good to go. It is, everybody's open, right? So I go out to one of the restaurants, and across the street, there's a bar. And I'm telling you, it is like the Wild West. And I'm not judging anybody. Like, if they're open, they're open, right? Do your thing. I, it is what it is. But I I felt so conflicted where I was like, am I supposed to feel, like, super comfortable with this? Are we good? Are we not good? Should I have my mask on? Because, like, 90% of these people don't have a mask on right now. It's tough to make out with the mask on. It, yeah. it certainly is. And I found myself in a situation where I was looking over to the bar, and I was like, Oh, they have capacity and they've reached capacity. And so instead, what happens is that you're not having any issues inside. Now the issue comes when they're standing outside. Oh, yeah. And there's like 50 people standing outside of this bar, just like right by the door, because that's what we, of course, do. We congregate by the door where you're getting ready to go in whenever they have it available. Have you had any of these experiences yet, Ron? Not you're yet. Like, what is going now, on? Ronge, you're uh, a
1: man of the people. Yeah, I'm of the people, by the people and for them. <laughs> I, I haven't really seen that. Well, it for it sounds my, familiar. It's extremely familiar. Wow, where have I heard I, that before. Yeah, I think it was uh, Ben Franklin. Yeah, so I uh, I have not seen... It wasn't Ben Franklin. <laughs> I guess. I'm
3: just letting you go, so That's It wasn't stuff. Ben Franklin. You seem like you're on a
1: roll. It, go ahead. It wasn't. Um, so I haven't seen anything like that. I mean, my experiences so far are like small lines outside of grocery stores, but nothing like this mass of people hovering around, and I'm thinking, what the hell are you folks doing here? Why, it was wild, it was Like, wild, why are you man. waiting? It was wild. I felt myself, like, looking
4: at them, like, I... I don't even know how to feel right now. It's a weird feeling, yeah. for sure. I, I drove past a buffet in Arnold, where my parents live. That a are, buffet? It's open. <laughs> no, no, it they're I, they're I promise you, the inside was open because there how was the a line waiting to go off? inside. I got to tell you, I
1: love buffets. I love them. Really? Yeah, I'm a, I've always been a huge fan of buffets. I one of my can't favorite places. Yeah, one of my favorite places. Uh, I'm not saying anything about a local place. So. Well, yeah, I'm not either. It's up, well, it's not open, I don't know, I don't know if it's open now or not, but it's up on, on Olive, a few miles uh, west, Gotcha. and I used to go there all the time, and I thought, man, I, I miss going there, but I have no intention of no. going to a buffet for a very long time, if ever. People are gross enough. Right. And yeah. then you saw the, the dude at the Mariano's in Chicago, remember that video that yes. came out probably three months ago, I guess. And he was tasting the soup out yeah. of the yeah. labels oh and then God. putting it back. I mean,
3: yep. That's instant knockout for me. If I see uh, that, dude, it's lights out for this that, dude. And I'm, amazed. I'm taking acceptable. the assault charge every day of the week. You're know, the thing i I don't care that
4: they are salad bars and grocery stores. Yeah, they're doing away with those. Oh, that's yeah, cool. I know, but are. I'm saying before all of this, well, yeah. I, I was I always surprised have, at that, uh,
1: and I used to have no problem
3: doing it. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm with Ronge yeah. on that. I used, I used to go in there, to, especially really? to yeah. schnooks. I'd be like firing up the salad, throw a little dressing, shake it up, ready to go wherever w- weren't I'm going. Were you
4: ever like concerned that they're not monitoring the last time yes. they checked and refilled that? Because it yes, was you know. It. Yeah, well, yeah. There are so many things that I think about now that I never would have thought of before. Oh
3: yeah, I'm a spaz now. Like moving forward. Every I notice everything. I feel like I'm CSI for germs. I'm like, oh, yeah. that, guy, yeah, no, oh that guy didn't do this. Oh, that oh, guy yeah. just touched his eyebrow like I'm out.
1: It's probably not good to be uh, super conscious of every single germ that might be out there because we need to have some exposure to germs in general. It helps your immune system, you know? Mm-hmm. This particular thing, though, I don't think you want to be <laughs> exposed to it. So for the meantime, we probably have to be a whole lot more careful. But I, I do think that in like four or five years, we're all going to back off on a lot of this stuff.
3: I think it'll regulate itself at some point with maybe vaccines and preventative measures. I'm not getting into that. But I do know this. My wife is a germaphobe, and she always has been, right? She's always been on our case, on our case, on our case. So then a couple weeks into quarantine, I looked at her one day, and I go, I get it. Mm -hmm. She goes, what do you mean? I go, this? This is your Super Bowl right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's
1: like, you guys are making fun of me for the bunker I built and all the canned food I was storing. I'm like,
3: you've been training yeah. for this your whole life. I'm so happy for you yeah. right
2: now. I had one more question for you, Ronge. We we don't have much time to get to it, but um, when when the Patrick Mahomes ten part series, is called you doing this? Oh my How can
3: we get through one? Released.
2: Can we get
1: through oh. one, <laughs> one freaking gonna,
3: crossover? What's that? What's going to be like. i you. you. Look what I'm dealing with, Ronge. Gosh. Look at no, what you're turd. dealing I'm with. the unlikable guy. It's fine. So, Ronge, what's that going to be like for you? I'm not going to watch you it. To. I'm not going to watch you it. To. I'm not going to watch you it. You think Mitch makes the, the documentary? Oh, for sure. To, right? I'll tell hey, what?
1: Remember when he counted what? on his fingers? That's got to be a part of the documentary. I'll t- I'll t- here's what I'll do. Uh, <laughs> if it's ten parts, uh, I will start watching episode two, because I know they'll cover the freaking draft in episode one. Oh, that's going to be a significant part.
3: You kind of come across as a number two guy to me.
4: Nice. Thank- <laughs> nice. <laughs> that was fantastic. Is Fer- hold on. Hold on. Ferrario, What's he? That's. <laughs> hold on. I got to like Nice. What what are you doing? I was are you looking lost. for buttons? He's like Barnes. He's
1: trying to figure He's
4: this like out. There, <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh my god! the buttons. It oh, my God. The well. party horn. The hotkeys aren't my friend right now. He's Jamie <laughs> Rivers. I'm Brandon Kiley. That's
2: Alex Ferrario. Ron, what's coming up, man? <laughs> All right. And I'm well,
4: passing things off to you yeah, just in you.
2: case it wasn't clear last I time. I didn't
1: know if you wanted to talk again. I was leaving the door open for you. That's Rivs, That's BK and Ferrario, who's learning the buttons. We have learned something over the weekend. Sports is back, baby. Kind of. We'll talk about it next on the Fastlane 101 ESPN.
0: You have been listening to the Ribs and BK
1: podcast on 101 ESPN.